an actor, word. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Yeah. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host along with Janine. We have our special guest, Travis Hobson of Punch Drunk Critics to join us on this recap wrap up episode of the Sundance Film Festival. Now, typically our podcasts go for roughly about 45 minutes to an hour. But this one is about three hours long. So just brace yourself if you, you know, obviously are not used to a three hour long podcast from our show. We watched a lot of movies and between the three of us, we each had a lot to say about all of them. So if you are a movie geek cinephile, if you went to Sundance, you saw some of the movies, whether it was virtual or in person, Sit back, relax, and enjoy this three-hour episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, where we recap what we watched at the Sundance Film Festival. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and I am your host, along with Janine, who's joining me on this special Sundance recap episode show. And we do have a special guest with us. We have Travis Hobson of Punch Drunk Critics. So we're really excited uh, to talk about all of the films that we saw at Sundance. You know, we've been covering it since the festival launched last week and you know we're now wrapping up where we're at the end by the time this podcast airs it'll be completely over um but we're gonna kind of break down everything that we saw at the festival so before we even dive into it first of all janine hey thanks for joining me today hey good to be here looking good nice to meet you travis nice to meet you <laughs> thanks for uh thanks jamie thanks Janine. uh thanks janine for having me on here uh i really appreciate it Travis, just for our listeners who may not know who you are, which I doubt, but for the few that don't, um, tell us who who you are, what you do. Yeah, uh, I'm Travis Hobson. I uh, for the last uh, 15 years, I've been the lead writer over at Punch Drunk Critics, the site uh, I created back in 2008. Um, and basically, I just like that. Look, I'm just a, a a, a nerd who likes to write about movies, right? That's just sort of been my thing. It's always been my thing. Um, long story short, back when I started, there weren't that many of us nerds who were allowed to do this sort of thing. We really weren't, there weren't that many of us. And now it's become commonplace. You got, you know, you got you guys, the black girl nerds and everything and everything. Everybody, everybody's a nerd who does this stuff now. And I kind of love it. So uh, it's, 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 it's been great to see how things have changed. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about Sundance because I just got home like, like a night ago or something like that. I'm still feeling it. Uh, I'm still tired, but I didn't come home sick for once. I, I've been to Sundance for 12 straight years, and most years I come straight, I come home sick. Uh, this year I didn't come home sick, so I'm happy about that. But there's a lot of good movies to talk about. We just had the awards released uh, very recently. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about. 
Indeed. I, I want to ask you first, since um, you, Travis, went to Park City, Janine and I, we covered Sundance virtually. What was your experience like out there? Because this is the first time that yeah. Sundance has did the festival at Park City since COVID. I think it's been about two yeah. years um, since its last festival at the site. So tell me a little bit about your experience out there. It was wildly different um, in terms of the number of people that came. I would say it was probably about 50 to 60% of the normal group of people that came. Uh, it was, I had never had a hectic day at Sundance this year. I didn't worry about getting into anything. It was very easy going. And Sundance, uh, they, because the last couple of years, like you said, because of COVID, they've, they've had an online component. Uh, this year, they greatly expanded the online component. Virtually every film you wanted to see, you could see from home. Uh, I could have saved myself a couple a couple grand by sitting on my couch, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people and a lot of outlets did. Um, that's the way it felt this year. Um, in terms of movies, it got off to a really slow start. Not going to lie, the first day or, day or so was pretty weak, uh, but it gradually got better over, over the course of the festival and it ended up being some really good films that had emerged this year. Yeah, and I'll just add to that from my experience virtually, I've covered the last uh, two festivals virtually. It was a little different for us because last year we were able to watch the screenings at the premiere time, but this time mm -hmm. they've changed it where you guys in Park City were able to screen the premieres and then we had to wait, I think like two days until after the yeah. premiere before it was available um, virtually, which was a little bit of a bummer, uh, especially if you're someone that's trying to get that review out right away and you want people to to see um, the film reviews as soon as everybody's kind of giving buzz about it online. But um, yeah. overall, you know, watching it virtually, it, it was a pretty easy experience. Did you have an easy experience seeing it online, Janine? Yeah, it was great. Um, I really liked the online experience. I mean, I missed having the, um, you could go to the kind of internet cafe space last year. When they oh, did yeah. Avatar. Yeah. And you could meet with the different filmmakers. So I got to interview and meet yeah. a lot of people there. I actually became friends with some, some people and they're my virtual filmmaker friends now. But um, otherwise, yeah, it was good. It was It was a bummer that they came out a little bit later though. I will I will say the 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 use of the if you had the the right kind of TV like having the Sundance app on your TV like the Sundance yeah. channel app was really good. Yes. Um I watched a couple of movies after I got home here using the Sundance <laughs> app on my on my Roku TV it worked really really seamlessly. Um so yeah that's if you had that it's really good as well. They did a great job with with the um online element of all the film festivals I've done virtually through Black Girl Nerds this past year and during COVID. I think Sundance has the most fluid. Um, it's easy to operate and you can see the films on whatever device. You can cast them on your television. I give them a thumbs up for tech. Absolutely. I agree with you completely on that. Um, and yeah, it's it's great having the experience of having like either a Roku. I have an Apple TV uh, where you can just fire it up on the app on your television and watch it from home because you don't want that experience of trying to watch them all on your computer. That's probably not the best experience. Um, Although I did watch one in the bathtub, so that was kind of nice. 
<laughs> okay. All right. You got to tell us what Bill Bubble Bath. <laughs> so then, okay, okay. let's. Let's you know, start I with... was able to take some time while I was in Park City. Like, uh, there was one day where I, I would think I watched one movie in person, and I was like, you know, I'm just kind of tired. I'm just going to go back to the crib and watch movies at the on the couch. And I did that in Park City. I just took a day to kind of just chill out and watch movies on the on the on the TV. So that was a that was a good option to have. I like the fact that they did that this year, the the hybrid uh, credentials where they gave folks that went in person the opportunity to stream them online. I hope that that's a continued practice because, yeah, sometimes, you know, you're not able to get out every single day of the festival or maybe you just want to stay indoors and work on your movie reviews and then you can just watch it from home. So, yeah, I hope that they continue to do that because I, I like that, that that's an alternative. I do too. I think also having it virtually allows more access to Black critics because not everybody can afford to go in person. So if they want to get a more diverse uh, critique of all of the different films for people, <laughs> they should keep that up and also release those films virtually as early as possible so they can get the coverage. Absolutely. And I think Sundance is doing a good job with the inclusion stipend that they are now offering film critics to be able to help with their expenses to go out there. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Out, out of all the film festivals that we cover here at Black Girl Dirts, Sundance is the most expensive. <laughs> so, um, you know, definitely save your money throughout the year if you ever intend to go to Sundance, because um, I think it's the lodging, if anything, for me, that's the most expensive. Uh, getting out there is, depending on what city you live in, is not that bad, but the lodging is the the challenge is finding some place. Well, you'll, be like, you'll be happy to know that the place that we had this year that you would have stayed at. I know. Uh, would have, would have <laughs> ended up being, ended up being really nice. Uh, the, you know, shuttle stop was literally at our door. Nice. Uh, like five minutes away from, from the, from the Yarrow and the holiday and the, and the, and the Ray. So if we stay there again next year, you probably got a, a place you can hang out at. So oh, that's uh, good that it's so accessible. That's, that's yeah, awesome. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, enough for the personal crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Jamie, my first... can I ask one quick question? Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. How, how did it? You said there were fewer people. How did it? Um, how did it impact the the vibe of Sundance? Because it felt like people still had com camaraderie and so forth. Was it? Were you able yeah. to have more access to people since there was fewer people? It was less, you know, less competition, maybe. Yeah, I would say that the thing that, that I noticed most was that the diehards still came. Like, <laughs> the diehards still came. Like those like me who just love to be in Park City. And you go not just you don't necessarily just go for the movies. You go for the uh, the networking and, uh, you know, seeing the friends that you don't get to see except at Sundance. All those people were still there. Like the guys I've always known were still there. It's just like I have a lot of friends who used to come, who come to Sundance, who have nothing to do with the business at all, and they just want to come and watch movies. None, none of them came this year, and I felt like I felt like that was the decision that a lot of people made. Um, but yeah, it was easier to get around. It was easier to get into screenings, especially the premiere screenings. Just wasn't nearly as much competition for this stuff publicists were a lot more accessible this year because there weren't as many people on the ground so you know you had a lot you got a lot of emails like hey can you come to this and a lot of offers for things that you 
probably got rejected for in the weeks leading up. And all of a sudden, when you're on the ground, they're like, oh, there ain't nobody here. Well, let's get this to this person over here. <laughs> there was a lot more of that this year. It's it's definitely an experience worth having, Janine, when you get a chance to go out to Park City. I, I love it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the cold and the thin air, <laughs> but just the experience of being around fellow journalists. And I just love film festivals, period. So going to several movies a day and going to the multiple screenings is always a fun experience. And then, you know, there's the after parties and all of that. So, um, you know, there's other yeah, things to do at Sundance other than I watching I got too movies. old for the parties, man. I'm too old <laughs> for the parties. I can't do it anymore. But, I, but, I, but I'm with you. I love going to film festivals and I love, Sundance is my favorite film festival, film festival of all the ones I've ever been to. Oh, wow. And I like, I like the... I like I like most the the timing of it at the beginning of the year. I think that's so important yeah. because yeah. our reviews really set the stage for how a film is going to be treated for the entire year. And I always stress that to the writers for our site who wanted to go to Sundance. We brought a new one who came this year for the first time. I stress that Sundance is really important because your reviews have a lot of impact right now. It's not like later when you got hundreds of people reviewing the same thing. There might be five reviews of a movie that come out of Sundance. Facts. And they will they will push your review out there and your review could get a movie sold or could get it killed. And it, it means a lot to be at Sundance, which is why I make sure if I only I can only have time to go to one each year, I make sure it's this one. I there's already publicists reaching out to me asking to quote, you know, my review in their marketing materials. So that's another part of it too, you know, getting a chance to have your name and your quote from your review in the promotion of the film. Uh, so it apparently I'm going to be all over Riley Lane because they they basically just said, "Can we quote the entire freaking review?" So uh, we're going to get into Rye Lane because I, yeah, I I got so many thoughts about that movie. So, okay. My first question to each of you is how many movies did you watch at Sundance? I saw, I saw 16 in total, which is a low number for me. I usually see about 25 to 30, but I've retired from the five and six movie day. Uh, So (laughs) I limited myself to about, three maximum so i think i saw 16 was my max this year i i saw 20 okay yeah i i beat you guys i saw 31 (laughs) (laughs) i I cheated i cheated a little bit i saw some screeners before sundance but yeah i got i got to 31 and i probably could have gotten more but i didn't watch any movies today um so yeah i probably could have gotten some more in um (laughs) So my first question to you guys is what was your favorite movie at Sundance? Janine? Uh, okay, Rye, Rye Lane, I have to say, but also Theater Camp. Those two are fighting each other for Rye Lane goes out a little higher. I love that movie. It just was so much joy. It was, it was, I, I got to watch it twice. They made me laugh. They were silly. The whole care. There was just so much silliness, even in the background. When there there wasn't a background performer, everyone had an intention, and everyone was doing something that was funny. From the little kids dancing to doing their selfies as the action was going forth, how the camera angles were, how the 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 design of the set, the colors just popped. It reminded me of every, I'm not a fan of rom-coms, 
but I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like every rom-com that I kind of like, like Notting Hill, the ones that are kind of British and Bridget D- Jones's diary. I saw little bits of that British snark in everything. And I love British black people. The, the meanness is different than American meanness. <laughs> the black They're just like the barbecue, the, the West Indian-ness of it. Uh, yeah, so Rylane. Theater camp, maybe we'll talk about later. How about y'all? Uh, Rylane was my number one as well. It, I saw it very early on and I absolutely loved it. I talk about it the, infi- the entire festival. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I love this, the energy of it, the colors of it. I wanted to go to that place where they were at so bad uh, at the end of the movie. I was like, I was talking to my to my buddy who was with me watching the movie. I was like, I don't know where this place is at, but I want to go. Uh, I don't know anything about it. But I want to be there. Uh, it's just so much fun. And, you know, the shorthand for it has been sort of like before sunrise for, yeah. for Black Londoners. And it's it's pretty easy, pretty easy shorthand, but I get it. Um, but it's it's so much more than that. I, I I got a chance to sit down and talk with the cast, and that was a lot of fun. And the movie hits on a number of like things that made me think that they made the movie for me. Like it was, uh, you know, uh, you have uh, the low end theory as a major plot point, which is like my favorite album ever. You know, you got uh, you got Shoop uh, playing in the karaoke, the only song I'll ever do karaoke to. Uh, you know, it's little things like that. I I love the depiction of. Of, of Dom, uh, you don't really see that many black men in rom-coms that can show that much vulnerability and sensitivity as he does. I love the way she lifts him up throughout the movie. I love so much about this film from start to finish. I just had so much fun with it. Uh, yeah, it's it's tremendous. There are a lot of films that I liked at Sundance, but this was my favorite. Well, I love the fact that we all chose the same film for our favorite because <laughs> Rye Lane is also my favorite film out of Sundance. I absolutely love this film. It gave me just this very strong visceral reaction. I found myself smiling while I was watching it. And I love when movies do that for me. Um, and this year was kind of a little bit of a doom and gloom Sundance like with their crop of films so this was sort of like a nice bright light to the other films that I had saw this year at Sundance and it just added some levity that I definitely needed uh I love the rom-com genre I I loved I love British (laughs) films I love that they actually give nod to uh one of my favorite rom-coms love actually um yeah best cameo ever uh one of my friends who saw it didn't even notice the cameo i was like dude come on now um yeah come on Uh, (laughs) it was hilarious it was was hilarious and it was yeah it was so on the nose too like so (laughs) and then i just love the vibrant colors i actually in my review credited the production designer anna rhodes for her great work with the colors it was just so vivid and luminescent and it matched tonally with the film and that's what i really really absolutely loved um so all around, Rylane just gets all of the the love. And very happy, you know, it's a Searchlight Pictures film. Hulu is distributing it. And I think it comes out sometime at the end of March. So yep. everybody Ooh, will get a yeah. chance to to see Rylane and you can experience it. Just no, like- no, 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 I don't, you know, it doesn't get to be shared. No one else sees it. <laughs> it's, it's my movie. No one else gets to know, gets to know about it. 
<laughs> but then we gotta go South London together, Travis. Oh, well, hey, you 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 no. let me know when I'll be there. <laughs> we gotta do the bus tour of all the locations and sing Shoop. There you go. There you go. I feel like everybody knows all of the words to Shoop. Like, does not. Is there anybody that doesn't know the words to that song? I don't know. I just feel like, and I loved his articulation. It's the easiest song to do karaoke to. And <laughs> it if you're is. like, if you're, if you're a, a black guy like me, we all know the words to the one rap part of that song, like the one guy part of that song. We right. all know it. We all, we all can go up there and do it, like on a moment's notice. Like I said, it's the only song you can get me up there to do after I've had a couple of drinks. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. Everybody knows Shoop. It was Everybody. perfect. Yeah, perfect. It's a universal <laughs> song all the way. He did uh, it with his little British accent, with the perfect articulation of <laughs> that particular <laughs> lyric. When he said that, I was like, "You go, Ryder. You're probably trained at Ryder or something like that, getting those <laughs> all of those sounds in there." And I forgot. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking it up now. But what was the lead actor's name um, in Rye Lane? It. Vivian, Vivian or David? David, David yeah. David, David. Jo David Johnson and Vivian Oprah, I believe her name was. Yeah. David Johnson is like the best eye actor ever. I don't know if you guys noticed <laughs> in the film, he just gives these really great uh, expressions on his face without actually overtly showing like if he's smiling or if he's sad. He just acts very well with his eyes. It's just something I really noticed and I appreciated. So especially especially later when he starts to get a little bit of a swagger going. Yeah. You know, his his facial expressions are really good as he starts to grow yeah. in confidence. Yeah. And everyone, that scene at the barbecue during certain songs, those takes, <laughs> like that's anybody's black family. Like for me, yes. the nerd, when I was doing things like that, that's exactly the, <laughs> so uh, yeah. The music all around in this movie was great. I mean, like the senior referencing with Terrence Trent Darby playing yeah. in the background. It's just mm -hmm. a lot. Of, there's great music all the way through this film. There's so, of, of all, of so many, many things that are great about it. The music is just another one. And props to um, the director. Um, Rain Allen Miller. Rain yeah, and the, yes. and the writers, Nathan, Nathan Byron and Tom Mella. It's just the whole team. Yes, absolutely. And she, this is her first feature, I believe. Um, and she's just, Rain Allen Miller, the director, and she just did a fabulous job with this one. So good on her. Uh, okay, so then let's, uh, we're going to get, you know, a little bit negative here. <laughs> uh, what, what was the worst movie for you at Sundance? Uh... All right. Well, look, all right, there was there are three for me that were equally miserable. Um, and one of them, you, I don't think either one of you is going to appreciate me saying, but theater camp was one of them. I could not get into theater camp at all. I tried my best uh, because I look, I, you wouldn't think that theater can be a movie that I would necessarily like. But on the contrary, one of my all time favorite movies is a movie from 20 years ago called Camp. Which I think that every yeah. movie that people, every movie that people do about this this particular group of type of kid is trying to recapture what camp did twenty years ago, and I feel like theater camp was. Mm -hmm. I just I just didn't feel like the adults were very funny, whereas I thought the kids were the best part of it, um, and I wanted to huh. see more of them. Didn't find it the 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 faculty very funny at all. Um, I had a really good old time with shortcomings. Uh, Randall Park's uh, feature debut. Randall Park, an actor I really like. That movie was terrible. 
Uh, me and my buddy sat there and just tore to shreds for the entire time we were watching it. Not funny. Main character is aggravating. Didn't like any of it. Yeah. And um, and then all all dirt roads taste of salt, which I'm sorry, I just was just so bored by, bored to tears. It was really tough to get through that one. Um, I was a little surprised to see that it has 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but then again, you know, um, I believe the festival bubble was a real thing, and I believe <laughs> there were some people in there who gave it uh, some positives when it probably didn't deserve it. I could not could not deal with that movie man well-intentioned but no thank you yeah i i agree with all dirt roads uh unfortunately because i really wanted it to be i wanted it to be good and it's one of those things where it's like we we want representation um we also want i i, I don't know i i I was talking to Jamie about it too. I wasn't expecting, I was, I go to the films without knowing anything about them. And, but I really wanted to see the main actress in that playing a mom because I see her playing extreme characters, which are wonderful, but I was really interested in seeing her um, in something that she could sink her teeth into just as a regular story. And it just was so slow. I kept falling asleep during that. And it was <laughs> it was a big challenge. Mm. Uh, the other one I did not like was Magazine Dreams. Mm. I we really need to talk about this movie. I feel like. Oh yeah, we're 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 gonna get into them. I just oh, want okay. your worst for, uh, your worst for now. <laughs> yeah, I mean I re I that's one of the things I wanted to I just wanted to get him a, a good therapist and a hug. And and some some you know uh, other people other black people in the gym who could just be his friend. Uh, I think the acting was wonderful, but I I just thought saw every unfortunate there thing. I, I can watch the news and and get that trauma. <laughs> I I don't need to get that trauma for my entertainment. Hmm. All and I love. Jonathan Majors, but he's just, it's a lot. It's, I, I want someone to give him a really, really good script where he can put all of his method acting to work in, in really wonderful ways. And the last one was Bad Behavior. Hmm. I really, that's my wheelhouse coming from the yoga. I mean, I love seeing yoga retreats gone wrong because I've been in so many of them. And I don't, and and it starts off great, but it just goes in wild directions that made no sense to me. And I, I um, when I learned that the writer, uh, what is her name? I have it here. Alice Englert. Yeah, Alice Englert. It's great. But uh, some of the situations that she put herself in, I thought, hmm, writer director putting herself in this. I I don't know. It just it was not something that. There was a lot of really good acting in it, but the script had a lot of problems towards the end, and the ending really um, made no sense to me. So Nepotism are- was a real uh, uh, thread going through this Sundance, and uh, Alice Englert being the oh, daughter yeah. of Jane. And, and uh, in the case of theater camp, Molly Gordon, her parents are both filmmakers, and probably got her movie bought. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about nepotism this year. I also saw bad behavior and liked about 50% of it. But I think I liked the second half a bit more than the first, contrary to, to you. But um, but uh, but I agree with you. The movie's not as not as not what it should have been. At least I thought I thought it, I expected more from that movie too. 
Yeah, uh, you're right about nepotism. One of the movies that I did not like um, also is a director that has nepotism, I guess, is related to a nepotism thing because Brandon Cronenberg's film Infinity Pool, I was not a fan (laughs) of. And his father is David Cronenberg, who obviously we know from many of his films. um, And I feel like he was just being a little too weird, like too much like his dad and leaning into that space. And I'll talk a little bit more about Infinity Pool, but that wasn't my worst film. I only have one worst film and then the rest of them are more like mediocre. Uh, the worst film for me was The Pod Generation. Um, <laughs> that was that was the film with Amelia Clark and uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. I think it won like an Alfred P. Sloan like award for like science or something. I mean, the concept is actually interesting plot wise. It's just these two actors had the worst chemistry ever. I don't know what it is about Chiwetel Ejiofor and the actors that he works with, but he did a film with Anne Hathaway. I forgot what the name of the movie was. And they had, Um, do you know what movie I'm talking about? It was the the COVID movie, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, They had the worst chemistry. And this is the same with, uh the pod generation so you know they they play a husband and wife couple trying to have a baby and then this baby is being developed in this weird pod and sort of going back and forth between you know who's more maternal who's more paternal as at the beginning Chiwetel's uh character isn't really on board with this method of delivering or you know I guess conceiving this baby in this pod but then he grows to like it and then amelia clark's character resents him for it so i mean i see what they were trying to do story-wise but it just fell apart for me and um i just was bored to tears with this film and uh, again the the actors just did not connect with me at all um so that was for me, the worst film of Sundance. The rest of them, the ones that you guys mentioned, and we'll talk more about it, were more on the mediocre side for me. Um, So then let's get into it. We'll start with the documentary category. Uh, I don't expect us to go through every single film since obviously we didn't see every single film, but I'll highlight some of the films that I saw. And if there's other films that I may have missed, then feel free to chime into what you saw. Um, Kokomo City uh did any of you guys see kokomo city i did i loved it loved it yeah go ahead go ahead and start with your thoughts about kokomo city there that was it was funny in way that that opening of kokomo city got me but i was not expecting that it surprised me it was entertaining it hits you in the gut and you have a realization that these are, when I initially started watching it, I, w- I didn't think I was watching trans women. And as the story half went ahead, I was like, oh, okay, these are sex workers. Oh, okay, these are trans women. Oh, so it was like this wonderful revealing through her, the craft of her storytelling. I think that was, that was Dominique. No, that was Coco the, the doll was the first one. And then as the story went on, each of the storytellers were, were so talented in telling their stories in different ways. And the content of what they were expressing, we don't ever get to see in spoken outside of the Black community. 
and we don't actually cross gender, <laughs> speak to one about one another about these situations. And even when trans black women and cis het black women who are dealing with men, <laughs> we don't have these conversations. We have these conversations about one another and the complexity of what these trans women brought through their trauma was I learned things watching this film. It was it was one of these impactful films that made me think, made me angry, made me compassionate for them. It doesn't demonize the sex workers. It gives a, an honest uh, telling of what their lives are like. And I saw the reasons why they have the problems with cisgendered heterosexual women coming from their trauma. So I, there was just, no, there was nothing more I could say about it. It was just, this was one of the first films that I got to see that Jamie sent to me that I got to, to do the review. And it just really, um, and, and plus the filmmaking was pristine. The styling, it, the music, um, the whole look of the film was engaging and it just flew, it flew by. It was really craftful storytelling. So as I'm blabbering on and on. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know what y'all think. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'll, I'll keep it pretty short. I absolutely love this film. I loved it so much that I had to reach out to the director, D. Smith, and do an interview with her. You can listen to that on a previous episode of the podcast. Uh, and she's also a trans woman, and she talks about her experience. And even she has a very um, engaging and compelling story about how she was an outlier and kind of cast out of the business um being trans because she used to work in the, the music industry and she's worked with some pretty notable people she worked with Katy Perry and and all of these other artists so um as far as Kokomo City is concerned beautiful film beautifully shot I love the extreme close-ups I love the way the story is told where it's not told from this sort of tragic point of view it's just you know raw and just in your face but there's moments of levity and there's moments of humor and I, I regarded it as infotainment I was informed but I was also entertained by many of these women that were very candidly talking about their experiences and um and even the men talking about their experiences um so I I just really absolutely fell in love with the film and congratulations because it did win a next award an audience award for next uh so i'm really glad that it's gotten some you know awards consideration right. for um for that and this is d smith's first feature film so congratulations to her uh travis did you get a chance to check out kokomo city at all or I did not. I did not see a single doc while I was there this year. <laughs> oh, you're going to be pretty quiet on this part. <laughs> too wrapped up in everything else. I didn't get to any docs this year. I had a couple that were on my list and I had a couple conflicts, unfortunately. So, oh, you know, there were a lot of good them's ones. The, them's the breaks on it when you get down there on the ground sometimes. Yeah. It it was, in my opinion, a very strong year for document uh, documentaries at Sundance. Uh, yeah. So next to Kokomo City was uh, Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni project, which you reviewed, Janine, for Black Girl Nerds. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I know that you liked it, but share your thoughts. 
It was my my parents are the same age as uh, Nikki Giovanni, and it's I, I'm in love with that time period of the '60s and the '70s, and being able to go on the journey of her life from her perspective, and her wit, and her just being at. She's always not suffered fools gladly, but to see how she was like that in her 20s. She was who she was in her 20s, and she's the same person in her 70s, just more so. I've just not taken anything from anyone and saying exactly what she she feels. And I think what really stuck out, and I don't think I got to mention it in the in, a, in the review that I wrote, was that conversation between her and James Baldwin having them talk about mm-hmm. men and um, definitely check out the film for that. And if you can go on YouTube, there's a conversation from 1971 about masculinity, about black masculinity with Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. That was just magnificent. And the way that they wove all of the archival footage through her present day um reckoning with getting older and coming towards the end of her life it was just beautiful and and I, we're all going to mars black women are are space travelers oh and the last thing <laughs> did you notice jamie the spaceship and the slave ship mm-hmm. there was there was some of the, i i a, a friend watched it with me and i didn't notice he's like that's a spaceship slave ship look is it the bottom of a slave so the yeah. the technical aspects of that were just glorious and to do that in a documentary was just like something I've never seen I just love the fact that we're seeing documentaries about black women in history and in the literary part of history that still a lot of people don't know about yeah we know about Nikki Giovanni but does the greater you know audience outside of the black community or the black female community know about Nikki Giovanni. So I really appreciate the filmmakers for bringing her to light. Cause you know, uh, recently on black girl nerds, we had, uh, spoke with, you had spoke with Tracy Heather strain who did the beautiful documentary about Zora Neale Hurston. So I I'm just glad that we're seeing these documentaries. It was great. It was beautiful. And, um, Nikki Giovanni actually did win an award. So congratulations to the team there, Joe Brewster and Michelle. I'm going to say that's how it's pronounced Uh, just because she has an accent on the E. Michelle Stevenson, um, they were both presented with the Grand Jury Prize, which is one of the more higher esteemed uh, awards over at Sundance for the documentary category. So excellent, fantastic to to the team for that. Uh, so the the next we'll go through these since Travis didn't see it. Um. I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you ladies talk about the movie. So <laughs> you made me want to go and uh, make sure I see both of these. So uh, keep it going. They're great. Uh, so the next one is Little Richard. I am everything, and I'll start with this. I I saw a little bit of this one. I saw a little bit of this one. It was so good. I mean, I felt like I knew everything that there was to know about Little Richard. And that's why I love documentaries. I'm I'm actually a huge like documentary nerd. Um, That's why I watch so many of them, because you always find like this, these little kernels of information about these very notable stars, entertainers, um, that you just thought you knew everything. And Little Richard was one of them. I was just like, okay, um, like the Tutti Fruity song and what it really meant. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Really? 
So stuff like that was amazing. And props to Lisa Cortez, who um, is the director of this film, but she's also a producer on another film, which is not coming to my mind right now. Um, so she's like the only black female. Um, I think Invisible Beauty, right? Invisible Beauty. Thank you. And she produced this Welcome. film. So she's like the only black female producer that's had two films at Sundance. I, I believe that is a fact. Um, so anyway, and we'll talk about Invisible Beauty as well. But yeah, Little Richard, I Am Everything was everything. It was. Uh, my dad watched that with me and he was supposed to be going to church and and because he saw he he said we used to go see his my, my mom and dad married in 1957 and they went used to go to the apollo on friday nights to see little richard and i was like daddy did you know what tutti for he's like yeah you should know those blues songs too i knew that one too <laughs> so <laughs> like, daddy he's like i'm gonna be late i hope well they maybe they won't listen but it was so much fun to be able to watch that with my dad too and to um and there was a lot of things that he did not know because of the the what i really found interesting was his struggle and it broke my heart his struggle between his sexual identity uh, and his spirituality and right. how the injected homophobia um how much harm that caused for him during that time and it was also enlightening to know that the Chitlin circuit had Chitlin circuit after dark where there were transfer performers. And that just awakened a whole, like, yes, we are. And I saw that as a through line through the, through the, um, through the festival and documentary, like with the Indigo Girls as well as a pushback, I think, to what's going on in, in our society right now with trans folks. So it was lovely to see that archival footage of, of trans folks in the 1940s who were Black. Absolutely. Uh, Travis, you said you saw a little bit of it. Oh, yes, see a little bit. But I, I'll say what from what I was able to, the little bit I was able to see, the thing that I took away from it um not i i think like you janine i don't think i ever quite understood how deep his struggle was i don't think i ever really got it i think that i think when, when most of us think of little richard you know because he always had the fun flamboyant attitude and the kind of you know everything kind of brushes off his shoulder attitude you kind of think that that's the way it was for him but it wasn't and uh and i don't think i ever quite understood that i also don't think i quite understood just how much of a debt rock and roll owes to him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I ever had a, quite a handle on that. And in the little bit that I saw, I started to get a glimpse of that, and, and that's one of the reasons why I really want to watch that movie in full. Yeah, and the fact and it was that heartbreaking too, because even though we've always heard Little Richard say he's sort of kind of notable for being saying that you stole this from me and you stole from that from me and he's always taken it with a sense of humor but really deep down inside like the, it really was stolen from him and, and it was heartbreaking in that moment in the documentary where he, we see him accept his award and you know he's he's crying it's like th that's the first time he's ever been acknowledged and it's like almost at the end of his career at that point for his work and um it's sad because you know Elvis, the Beatles, which by the way, I didn't even know the Beatles was taking mm -hmm. music from him, but you know, they took it mm -hmm. from everybody. Um, yeah. But yeah, all of these, you know, white artists, uh, David Bowie, David Sorry. Bowie, <laughs> like 
it just it's so heartbreaking and these people have sold massive amounts of records and have unlimited amounts of wealth because of um little richard's work and they profited off of his work and it's just that was heartbreaking to hear that part of his story in the documentary so yeah yeah that's that's why i wasn't really too quick to go out and watch elvis like everybody was like go out and see elvis i'm like "Mm, okay whatever i do hope that people who saw little richard in elvis will maybe take more of an take an interest in this film because of that um that's just one thing i can help about it well, and also the it, it, there's I love in that film how they show the difference between uh, stealing and influence as an artist. But, so we get to see who Little Richard looked to to learn how to play the piano and frame his look. And then you see how Prince is Little You know, it, I love the way they le- use yeah. this glitter to to there's a difference between honoring the artist to make it your own being inspired by and then straight up just stealing it like pat boone doing tutti frutti in his little you know his little you know that, <laughs> the worst rendition that. of tutti frutti ever by the way <laughs> I, and, and well and also the last thing i think I, it was just wonderful to see how okay so you're gonna y'all are gonna start stealing our stuff we're gonna do these rhythms so fast that you can never play them and that was one of his biggest hits. I'm forgetting which song it was, but there were songs that they 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 made the 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 music so rhythmic in the ways that the white musicians just could not catch up to. And those are his big. So I just thought this is the brilliance of what we have to keep doing. And I and I thought of the future with YouTube creators and all the black creators who are out there now who are putting stuff out there that's getting stolen by other creators. And hopefully they'll be inspired to like keep keep their creativity so fresh that nobody can ever copy you. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I I think I've said her name and the name of her movie wrong when we did the podcast, so apologies in advance. But I think it's Mila Satando. Mila Satando. Okay, uh, so that is the name of the director as well as the name of the film uh, about her personal experiences living in apartheid South Africa. Uh, Beautiful film. I I absolutely loved it. Janine, you reviewed it for Black Girl Nerds. Um, Quickly, just kind of- And you, yes, and you got to interview Mm -hmm. her as well. So yeah, quickly share with us what you thought about the film. It was stunning. I never knew that there was a middle class. I never knew knew about the um, trans 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 guy in in South Africa, which was a twenty year uh, kind of middle class segregated society that was uh, technically there to prove that we could live separate and equal. And they actually had in the small community they they were happy. And they had some sort of, of of upward mobility. I loved the way that she used African spirituality and mysticism and the weaving of her story with her family to tell this story. So it, it was very, it's very different than, I guess, the rules of documentary where you kind of have the subject and you, you're you're away from it. She actually places herself and her body and her family in this story in a way that was just 
gorgeous and glorious with poetry and art and the ritual from from African spirituality, honoring and working with Christianity. There's poetry in it. One of the lines that sticks out was she said, we we were allowed to to we we were allowed to do Christianity and African spirituality. And I'm not doing the line justice, but it it was a space where they could not demonize one another. And I love that about this film. And I love the education. And it was hard. And she faces <laughs> having difficult conversations with white people who she's working with, like so, so oof, it was it was hard to listen to, but they were hard conversations that are good conversations to have. And when I interviewed her, the woman that she was having the most charged conversation was that's her producer. So she was there for the interview as we were talking about it. So it's not only a film about the past, it's about the present and going forward in the future and how we can be together uh, with our, with those white folks who are up for being co-conspirators. <laughs> so yeah, I really love the film. Absolutely. I'm gonna move on to Invisible Beauty. Um, that is another documentary that uh, Lisa Cortez is a producer on. Uh, the director, oh goodness, they do not come to mind at the moment, but I can pull that up in just a second. Beth Ann um, Hardison. Oh, Beth Ann Hardison. It. Thank yeah. you. So Beth Ann Hardison is the director. She's also um, co-directing it with Frederick Chang. And Beth Ann Hardison, it's about her life. Uh, working in the fashion industry. And I just absolutely, she was an agent in the fashion agent, uh, fashion industry, and she was an agent of change. And she really helped um, become an activist and really uh, advocate for Black women to be represented and included on the cover of all of these fashion magazines and getting equal pay and rights. And I honestly never heard of Beth Ann Hardison prior to watching this documentary. And that's why I love watching these documentaries because I learned so much. And I didn't even know her son, Kadeem Hardison from a different world. I was like, okay, what, what's going on? Um, so <laughs> it, it was, it was fantastic seeing like Tyra Banks and Iman and Rashamba and all of these beautiful black supermodels from back in the day, talk about all of the, issues that they dealt with and the racism of uh, working in this industry and how Beth Ann um, was a mentor to, to them and really advocated for them. And if it wasn't for Beth Ann, they wouldn't be where they were today. And also learning about the story of Tyson Beckford, who was the first black male supermodel and, and how she sort of brought him under her wing and was ultimately responsible for him getting the uh, Ralph Lauren account. So Ralph Lauren and I remember back in the day when back in the day when I had like my little mag teen magazine and I saw <laughs> Tyson Beckford and I was like, oh my God. And I actually cut out like the picture of Tyson Beckford and I put it in my binder. I had like the little clear seal. <laughs> so I would have him there. Um and I would have posters in my room. So yes, I'm telling on myself. But yeah, like Beth Ann Hardison is responsible for Tyson Beckford getting that account. So it was it was absolutely an amazing film and I learned so much. Yeah, I loved it. it I I loved the model part of it too. Uh, she Cause she was one of the first black is beautiful models. And I remember 
you remember in the whiz, my favorite part of the whiz and when is when they're walking and they're like, the color is green and the model, Beth Ann is one of those models walking in the whiz in 1976 with, I think Amon is in that scene too. So yeah, I, the thing that she, and I won't go on and on, but one point that she, she made that was just brilliant when she was organizing the models, when, when she, her modeling agency was the modeling agency that was models of color in the nineties. So if you wanted girls who were Asian, black, uh, African, anyone who was not being cast, you went to her and she, she not only, she was like a mother to them and she organized. And when she left to go to Mexico to live her best life, the industry shifted. She came back and and helped. Like that's something that black women do. She came back and planted the seeds for, of of change. And I'm not going to give it away because I want you to see the movie. This is how you organize. She didn't do it by herself. It's wonderful to stand on your knee, but you see that there is actual planning and community with organizing and the things that she started, we are seeing the benefits of today. And she also, one last thing I'll leave it with is she said that when the images of black people were not on these these modeling agency, these brands like Ralph Lauren, it's because they did not want us to see ourselves. (laughs) with that abundance. So seeing Tyson Beckford dressed in a suit and having a black man presented as someone who was not, uh, who, who was someone who could have been in the upper class, not to negate any other classes. It's just wonderful that she taught the industry who we actually are. And, and, and who they're doing on purpose to keep our minds in a certain way. So I loved it. Thanks for letting me go on and on. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. I know we've got three other categories to go through, but we'll, we'll do it. Okay. Um, so still, um, still a Michael J. Fox movie. Um, did any of you guys, um, well, I know Travis didn't, um, Jenny, did you see of, that? I heard a lot of great things about that movie. It was, it was yeah, amazing. I I, I'll I'll briefly just say I absolutely love it. I recommend you watching it. And one of the most heartfelt, touching things about watching this documentary was seeing him and his wife Tracy. Because Tracy, he met her on the set of Family Ties. She was actually an actress that was his girlfriend on the show. And just seeing her there today, you know, he's currently suffering from Parkinson's disease, and it's at a very advanced level. Um, but just seeing her there by his side and supporting him um, and that they've just been together for so long. I mean, just oh, Hollywood couples in general really have a very short shelf life. Um, but to be a couple, a Hollywood couple, and to have to deal with an illness, you know, kind of adds strain on a marriage and to see them together, um, you know, working through this in this documentary it was just a beautiful thing to witness. Um, so I definitely encourage Um, folks to see it and um, you know Michael J. Fox is very honest about uh, his disability and you know the the disease and how it's impacted him and um, there's even moments where you know they should have cut the camera off and he's like no just keep the camera rolling where you know he has Mm -hmm. to take his medication and 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 stuff like that so very eye-opening stuff Um, the next documentary Janine I don't know if you saw this this is another one that was so important that I think everybody should see it's called Victim Suspect did you see that one I didn't no I didn't see that one 
that one's coming out on Netflix. So luckily everyone will have an opportunity to see it, but it's about um, women that have been falsely accused of reporting sexual assaults and being arrested for it. And it's unfortunately a phenomenon that's occurring. And this particular reporter, her name escapes my mind at this time, but she works for a publication called The Reveal. And she just noticed that this was happening more and more when she was on the internet researching it. And she decided to um, do some research and some deep dives into it and, and did a documentary. And it's it's gut-wrenching. It's it's sickening. It's disgusting. Um, it, it also, it profiles how um, law enforcement really just do not do their due diligence when it comes to their interrogation practices. And then it shows some of the biases when it comes to how they feel about women and gender and all of that. So victim suspect, must see, um, that will be coming out on Netflix. I don't think they have a date yet. It's only life after all. The uh, Indigo Girls documentary. Mm-hmm. Saw it. Loved it. Me too. But I'm an Indigo so Girls fan, so I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> Me too. I when they, when they play when they played closer to fine, I was singing along. I was like, that was, is my jam. <laughs> I was singing to all of them. I was like, Galileo's head was on the block. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's the soundtrack. I mean, I'm a little older than y'all, but um, yeah, I I was also leaving. I'm not queer. But I really like I I come from a really conservative uh, religious background, and I had to leave my whole family to 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 work in the arts. And Indigo Girls were part of that process at that time because it was when I was in theater school. So seeing what they went through with their activism and 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 actually that was like my first intro because my friends who were listening, we I went to the little fair <laughs> that they were in. And I was like, wait a second, oh, okay, this is what this is. So that was like my introduction into um having queer friends in, in communities where I had as a child never been exposed. So it was just lovely. And to see how they work together, how their minds work and how they're so different, but how they they blend was just, yeah, I, I love that documentary. I also love the fact that they addressed the issue about them, um, a, about the perception of them being a couple, because I'm not going to lie. I was very ignorant too. I used to kind of think that back in the day, like, did they, or did they like have a thing? And um, it, they also talked about how that kind of plays into people's biases of how they view queer relationships and queer people in general. Oh, just because we're both queer, we've got to be together. So they talk about that. And I'm just glad that that was like a very candid conversation because I even had to address my own like, you know, ignorance in that. And um, oh gosh, I forgot which one, who it was, but she said that she um, had her own sort of, um, I forgot, I don't Amy. know how to- it was yeah it was amy do you remember exactly what she said yeah she 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 called it internalized homophobia internalized homophobia yeah i've been as i've been educated they uh, a friend of a therapist of mine or or that i i actually interviewed her on black girl nerds um but she was saying it was inject it's actually injected and it's not really internalized because you don't really have the bandwidth to internalize something that's injected to you throughout your whole culture. But Amy uses the word uh, internalized homophobia of her being, you know, more of the the masculine one and how she, that became her anger in her creative process and, Mm -hmm. and the misogyny of her knowing how to do tech and how to do sound and knowing what sounded right and what didn't sound right. 
and not being able to take on the feminine quote unquote role that the male um, sound guys could actually handle what like that whole part of it was just like so yeah. much to hold. Yeah. It reminded me a little Richard in a different way. You know, I, all of the through lines of these, um, these documentaries were really, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Good. Definitely one to watch. Uh, underrated. Uh, this was the Steph Curry documentary. I don't know if you saw that one, but I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I will say this. Um, the only thing that I will criticize about the Steph Curry documentary is that I kind of wish that he went a little bit beyond his sports career, but looking at some of the other sports documentaries, Sometimes they just like to go into that bubble with probably the exception of uh, Magic Johnson's They Call Me Magic, where he talks about, you know, the being HIV positive and going into that conversation. But I feel like if <laughs> for Magic, he kind of was obligated to have that conversation in his documentary. Um, but I would have liked to have known more about Steph Curry outside of him being a basketball player and more about mm. his relationship with Aisha, um, which they don't talk about. So Aside from that criticism, it was good. It, it's it's an underdog story. He was, you know, the shortest player. Even during the final draft, they said things about him that weren't exactly flattering. So even the NBA didn't believe in him when they were drafting him. Um, and now he's like, you know, arguably one of the best, you know, players in in the sport. So um, absolutely fantastic documentary. Um, Has that been picked up yet? Do you know? Yes, Apple, uh, I think it's A24 and Apple TV will be streaming that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, uh, and if I'm missing one, feel free to add one, Janine. Um, but The Stroll, I saw that. Did you watch The Stroll? No, I didn't see that one. Okay. The Stroll was good. It was a little paint by numbers. It wasn't as um, creative, in my opinion, as Kokomo City. And I hate to kind of compare just because they're talking about the same subjects the two documentaries, but, um, uh, it, you know, they're just talking about what, uh, uh, many of these black, uh, trans sex workers were dealing with working in the meatpacking district and, um, just kind of going over their history, but, um, you know, very subjective, uh, or very objective rather, uh, storytelling and, um, I don't know. I, I thought Kokomo city was a little bit more creative with its storytelling. Yeah. So, um, but I think the stroll is definitely worth checking out. It is um, produced by HBO films. So I know that people will be able to see that um, in wide release when that is announced soon. It was a year where a lot of the docs were already acquired. Yeah. Yes. Ready yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I um. I was going to just mention Pretty Baby. I think Hulu uh, was that with Brooke Shields. And I thought it was good. It's a two-parter. I wasn't expecting that much Brooke Shields. Again, I remember Brooke Shields. She's a beautiful doll. There was a doll. Yeah. <laughs> Brooke Shields. So it goes into um, her mom and her relationship that with, with her mom. And uh, did you see that, Jamie? I saw part of it. And then I paused it. And I, I got my five hours expired. So. Yeah. I think it was good. But like you say about Steph Curry, it didn't really go there. You know, it talks about her being a Did mom, she talk she about was... Michael Jackson at all? Yeah, she does. And she like throws him under the bus. She's like, we weren't dating. I was dating Dean, whatever. But it's the first Superman. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, 
So I never it, bought that they were actually dating anyway. And nobody <laughs> thought that they, they show a clip of Michael Jackson being like, yeah, Brooke and I are doing this and that. And she's like, I wasn't doing nothing with him. I was with him. And we were in, but she doesn't really, hilarious. she talks hilarious. about a sexual, an assault that happened. She doesn't name who it is. And she, she doesn't, it, it's like the, um, she was raised under the public eye. And I think, I feel like she can't really bite the, the, the hand that feeds her ever, even now. And it just made me sad that, that she can say what we already know. And some of it's really disturbing because she was very young in the movie, Pretty Baby, which was, was very problematic. And she doesn't really own, own that even as an adult. And her daughters kind of call her out on that. So it's it's a kind of doesn't scratch it it does uh, paints by numbers, but she doesn't really go there and she doesn't, yeah. 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 It was safe. Yeah. I mean, especially when these uh these subjects are, I guess, authorized biographies, <laughs> um, autobiographies, then it becomes very sanitized. So um yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to move to the drama category. And uh, first up is Mommy Wada. I absolutely love this film. It was so brilliant. And uh, also congratulations to Mommy Wada because I believe it did win an award. I'm just trying to scroll through to see which award it won. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it didn't win an award. I don't think it won anything. No, it didn't. Okay, never mind. I lied, um, but it won an award oh, in my did. eyes. I found it. Oh. Uh, World Cinema Dramatic Special Jury Award for Cinematography. Oh, okay. Okay. So congratulations to them. The cinematography is absolutely beautiful in this film. Someone did critique about, um, it might not have been Mommy Water. It might have been another black and white. Um, oh yeah, I think it was Kokomo City that- the captions kind of bled through the the black and white cinematography um mm. but i didn't i didn't have that problem watching the captions on mommy water i had my captions turned on um but that aside i i thought not only the cinematography was beautiful but the the costume design the makeup is amazing and the story is such a compelling story, this revenge <laughs> story. And it's based in this beautiful African mythos about the Mami Wada. Um, it, it's something out of this world. It's it's very, as Cassandra said in her review, it's it's otherworldly, but yet at the same time, it there are moments where it feels very real. And it is very real with what happens with um the antagonist characters in the in the film. So yeah, Mommy Wada was amazing. Did you see Mommy Wada? No, no, no. I did not see that Mommy Wada as much as I want to see that one. I've heard absolutely great things from everyone who's seen it, though. So I'm really looking forward to finally getting a chance to see it. Has that one been acquired? Is that one has that one been picked up already? That is a good question. I want to say I, like I don't. I feel like you're right. I don't think it has been acquired yet. Um, yeah. but it, it it's it's definitely getting acquired now now that it's got I feel like more. I, could, I feel like I could still reach out to somebody and ask for a screener probably get it so I might do that yeah absolutely absolutely um the next one is girl um did any of you guys see that one Mm-mm. I didn't see it 
All right, I'll briefly talk about it. Um, Girl was good. It's it's a coming of age film. I absolutely enjoyed the the young girl protagonist that was in it. Uh, it dragged through some parts for me personally. Cassandra reviewed it for Black Girl Nerds. She loved it. Um, overall, I I thought that the younger actresses did a great job. Um, this mom sort of has this moment where she feels rejected by her younger daughter. That's forming this relationship with a local young girl who's um who's white and this is i i don't remember what uh country in africa where this is based because this was out of the world uh dr- cinematic drum drama dramatic category mm-hmm. um but anyways she forms a relationship with this white girl and um the white girl gets her into shenanigans. <laughs> She's, you know, stealing things and stuff like that. But um, Isn't that always the way? you know, I'm like, what? This white girl gonna get you in trouble. Um, cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> but at the core of it all, it's it's really about this mother and daughter, and just you know, sort of the the growing pains of it all. And um, it, it, it's a beautiful story. Like I said, it for me, it it dragged here and there sometimes but overall I, I thought it was a it's a beautiful story so if you love coming of age stories stories that deal with you know family um i think that this is probably one that you'd probably be interested in checking out uh the next one is magazine dreams which i'm sure a lot of people got <laughs> a lot of you guys here got a lot to say about this so um i'm going to start and then i'll let you guys go so magazine dreams for me i absolutely loved it um, Jonathan Majors to me, I think needs to get all of the awards for this performance. I don't know if that's going to happen. Number one, because people tend to forget this is a Sundance film and, you know, people's memories are not as sharp when it comes to award season. Also, I don't know if enough people are going to want to watch this movie, um, that are awards. I'm talking about awards voters. So, um, I hope that's not the case, but I just think that the fact that this guy consumed over 6,000 calories and did this rigorous workout to build his muscles and to physically transform into this role was incredibly compelling. And his acting was just out of this world, absolutely extraordinary. Um, So I loved Magazine Dreams. I mean, there were times where the plot I didn't quite know where it was going. It was kind of going in some different directions here and there, but it it didn't bother me to the point where I'm like, you know, this is not worth saying. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I have to say about Magazine Dreams. Yeah, I'm a bit torn on Magazine Dreams. Uh, I gave it a solid review, but my overall point was that I don't think very many people are going to want to watch Magazine Dreams uh, because it is such an such a bleak grim film like from start to finish there's absolutely no hope that creaks into this movie uh as far as i'm concerned it 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 feels a lot like and you know you've seen the, the comparisons joker taxi driver and in some ways that's true but i think seeing it from the perspective of a black man changes all that and makes it it gives it it gives it a little bit of a deeper context than i think those movies or at least a different context than those movies have because you see his character who is look? He's a he's a toxic, he's a he's a toxic incel. He really is. Like this is exactly who this guy is. But you also see those 
those aggressions, those microaggressions that we as black people face every single day. He, he experiences those too. I mean, the movie begins with him talking about how his town is a food desert. I mean, these are he has reasons to be angry, um, but he doesn't have reasons for so many other stuff that he does in the movie. So I, I, have, I have a feeling that, look, as great as Jonathan Majors is, um, and look, this is going to be an extraordinary year for him. Uh, we can see that already with the movies he's got coming up. I wish they had pushed devotion to this year as well, but that's a topic for another day. Um, I just, I don't know if the movie itself is good without him. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily, like you talked about how it kind of feels like it's drifting a little bit. It doesn't know where it wants to go. Mm. And while he's good enough that I could stay like captivated by his character, I'm not so sure if if the movie didn't have him, I'm not so sure we'd be even talking about it right now. Yeah, I agree. Good point. Yeah, I, I um, didn't like it so much. I, I, he, he's, he is a fine actor, and I feel like there are different kinds of styles of acting that people are drawn to. If people are working that hard, and I'm think method actors are not my favorite. Um, it's it's it, normally it's white actors who do that, and it's it's fascinating now watching um watching him do that and seeing the response and it's it's lovely that a black man in our culture on set is being allowed the freedom to be a black and a method actor because in the past if you're black and then you're on set and you're staying on character people didn't have much tolerance for that usually it was white men who could do that um that being said the eating disorder facet of the script was really fascinating to me for a man, for a bodybuilder. And I wish that had been explored in detail. My problems were mostly with the script. If they had gotten, if if some of the parts of the script that we always see black men getting, it felt, it felt like everything that happens to a black man had to be thrown into that script. And I think if it had a good, editor and if there it was i'm noticing this with it's written and and directed by the same person there's nobody to tell you hey what what if we were able to put this out and we focused on this part of the story um i think that would have served the script much better and been a better script for such a, a talented performance to really be believable because I just, there was a lot that I didn't really believe I was watching a person. I thought I was watching Jonathan Major who gained all this weight and he's a fantastic actor doing his craft. I like to watch people rather than actors. So for that, it was just kind of like, huh. I feel like this is not the final version of this movie. Mm. I feel like between now and whenever it gets an eventual release, yeah. there will be some a little bit of chopping down of this movie because it I does need so. a narrow for narrower focus it there there's some definite scenes that could be cut out of it it feels like a tad too bloated just a tiny bit uh and that happens a lot at sundance the movie you see at sundance is not the final version that you get and i feel like magazine dreams is a prime candidate for that i agree yeah that's good to know yeah well, it doesn't have a buyer yet, so that's probably a, a likely which is thing. Also weird. Which yeah. Is also weird. yeah Considering some of the movies that have been sold already, and some of them for big dollars, um, yeah. uh, I'm a little surprised that with having his name attached, that this movie has not already been sold. And yeah, Dan, it, surprisingly, 
I'm I'm surprised not only that, Dan Gilroy's a producer. So right. yeah, it's hmm. like you've got Jonathan Majors, Dan Gilroy. How is this not bought yet? So I don't I don't how know. Does, how does that work though? Because my I don't know, I'm naive. I'm I'm the 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 newest one to this than 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 y'all are. But I thought so, the that film festivals were a place where the producers shopped for films. And it seems like they're already bought before they come to the, the festivals. Is is it changing? Are they making uh, the festival is a place, it's a both. It's both. It's both okay. a marketplace and it's a place to to for movies to get early buzz before they come out. So it's a combination. Yeah, um this year, there I think there are more films that were already acquired than ever before, mm -hmm. uh, the, which has an impact on uh, press days at the festival. If a movie's already sold, they will often not have a press day for it at all. You might you might not see as much talent there because they don't need to sell it. They are it's already sold. Then what's the point? Um, but when there's a movie that they're shopping around that they want to get picked up, every review matters. Every interview matters. Every and everything about the movie matters. Um, I was and to that end. I'm actually surprised because Magazine Dreams didn't seem like it was pushing itself that hard here at Sundance mm -hmm. either. So uh, and maybe they feel like well, we got Jonathan Majors now will be enough. It probably will be eventually in the end, but I don't know. I'm not. I don't know what the buzz for this movie is going to be beyond him. It's a tough sell. It's a tough movie to sell, no matter when it comes out. So agreed. Agreed. Um, it did win an award. It won the U.S. Dramatic Special Jury Award for Creative Vision. So um, it did get some awards recognition, which could I definitely... Don't, I don't even remember that award. They must have just made that one. I don't even remember that <laughs> award in like previous years. <laughs> it's in the special special jury category. They've got all of these different categories now. Yeah. Um <laughs> So, you get like an award added, and you get an award. <laughs> it feels like they added some T-ball trophies this year. So, uh, you know, whatever. All right. <laughs> well, um, so, okay. Mixed on on Magazine Dreams. Uh, so the next one is All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt, which we all saw. Um, I, I will say this. I went in with the expectation knowing that this film was going to be a bit of a slow burn and that it was going to be different. Uh, I've seen a little bit of this director's work. Uh, also, Barry Jenkins is behind this film. And historically, his films tend to have a slower pace. But this film is very different in the fact that it's very avant-garde. I didn't see much of a story in All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt. It's just mostly as I'd like to probably describe it best, the, the cinematography is the story. And it felt like poetry in motion. That said, if you appreciate those kinds of films, if you appreciate films that focus on the art of it, I think people will enjoy Alder Road's Taste of Salt. But if you go in thinking, okay, I'm gonna sit down and watch a movie that's got this really compelling story and it's gonna have a beginning, middle and end and you know all of that, you probably might be a little disappointed and a little bit bored. Uh, so I appreciated it for what it was artistically. Is it a movie that I'll watch again? Probably not, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it, it was still a beautiful film to see. Just seeing like there's a scene where a couple hugs for like 
five minutes on camera, a black couple. I was, and I was warned about that scene before I even went into the movie. <laughs> I, I thought it was beautiful. I, I, I just thought it was beautiful. First of all, I just, you don't see black couples loving each other in that way on camera um, that often, I would say. I wouldn't say you don't see it, but that often. And just it happening for that length of time I don't know. I, it it struck me. It struck a chord. Like at first I was like, okay, what's happening here? But when the camera just held on and they were just rocking back and forth, I don't know. It 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 just struck me in a pretty profound way. So I, I liked it for what it was. Um, but I understand people that don't like it because it's it's not your typical formulaic kind of, you know, story that has the beginning, middle, of end of what you would expect to see in a dramatic feature. Yeah, I, I'm somebody who, who really needs a story that he can wrap his brain <laughs> around. And, uh, and I just, I wasn't going to get it out of this movie as much. And I really went into it wanting to like it. Um, but it, it kind of felt like somebody trying to do Barry Jenkins, which I really don't like. <laughs> I don't like that. I'm sure Barry Jenkins appreciated it. But uh, <laughs> it was quite flattering to him. But uh, but to me, I was like, I wasn't I was not able to get into the movie at all as much as I tried. I really wanted to see more of Sheila Atom in, in the in the movie as well. And she just kind of disappeared. And I wasn't even sure why she was just kind of gone. <laughs> and I was like, OK, um, yeah, this movie didn't it just didn't work for me. It was the like, but I, and on one end, it does continue my 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 continuing streak of the final movie I see at Sundance being something that I hate. So and that has been my streak for like 10 years and it continues now because I decided to watch that yesterday. So there you go. Oh, you hate it. Oh. It's so random. I was like, I can watch this or I can watch like My Animal or whatever the movie was, the Midnight Movie. And I should have I should have watched the Midnight Movie. But I decided to be high, high-minded, highbrow Travis for an evening. <laughs> and it and it, and it bit me in the butt and I deserve it. So whatever. <laughs> Janine? Yeah, I already said, I think everything's been said about it. And, you know, it's it's a beautiful film, but just not my cup of tea. And, and maybe, and maybe uh, before we go any further, and I don't want to drag this on too long, but maybe it's me, but in all my years of going to Sundance, I really hate to bury films at Sundance. Like, I really hate it. Like, more than any other time of the year. I don't want to bury anybody's film at Sundance. I try to go into everything with a positive attitude and say and find something good to say about every movie that I watch. So I, I really don't go in there to kill anything. I'm not going to like formally review this because I just don't, I don't want to spend my time burying this movie. I don't, I don't think that's worth it. So um, yeah. I think it's, it's wonderful to be able to be, have a black film or make or make a film like this, you know, because the expectation is, is, I think a lot of times we put a lot of expectations on ourselves to be um, one certain way. Mm -hmm. And this shows the diversity that we can have a black film that some black people will love and some black people won't. And we don't have to all like it for the culture. Yep. We can just be film consumers and say, it's just not my cup of tea. Yep. I mean, well, that first catfish, I hope they get credit because they're that that cat those catfish cats. <laughs> is their catfish pay? Cause that was a life <laughs> life the catfish. She was just like catfish finger and you know, hand acting, kudos and catfish acting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, our next film, uh, A Thousand and One, that actually won the grand jury prize in the dramatic category. At that won Sundance. the big prize. That's the big, big one. Prize. Yeah. Wow. Which is a little surprising, to be honest. Um, I will start by saying um, I I appreciated A Thousand and One for what it was. Uh, it wasn't the best film at Sundance. Uh, it wasn't the worst. I think what stood out for me personally was Tiana Taylor. And I think that this is a great vehicle for her to get more dramatic roles. I think people have been talking about her possibly playing Dionne Warwick and Dionne Warwick biopic. I can totally see it. Tiana's got obviously the, you know, the singing capacity to do it. Uh, but now this dramatic feature that she was in with a thousand and one shows that she's got the acting chops. Uh, so I, I thought it was, you know, well done plot wise, the plot felt very basic to me, you know, single mom trying to, you know, former felon trying to get herself together and pick her life, pick up the pieces and got a, you know, her son that she's raising kind of a story we've seen before. So nothing really compelling about the story. Um, but what really stood out was Tiana Taylor's performance. So I give the credit film credit for that. Um, I'm a little surprised that it won the grand jury prize. I, it, it's not a film that would stand out for me as that type of film, but I don't know. The grand jury prize winners at Sundance always surprise me anyway. So your, your description of the movie is exactly the reason why I didn't go out of my way to watch it because it seemed like so many other films I've seen at Sundance. I was like, I, I remember reading the, the description. I was like, am I in the mood for another Imperial dreams here at Sundance? <laughs> and I was like, no, so I, so I ended up skipping it, and I kind of feel bad that I did now, considering that uh, I, you know, it's it's one of it's one of the big prize here at Sundance. Uh, so uh, so maybe it's one of those ones that I'll, I'll see if I can reach out and and get a screener of because now I feel like I should probably check it out. I I want to add really quick, Av Rockwell, the director, directed this beautiful film called Feathers, uh, which we reviewed on Black Girl Nerds. Um, so she is a fantastic director, and I think she you know, definitely did a good job with uh, her direction on this film. Um, so I just wanted to give kudos because uh, Feathers was amazing yeah. work and and props that she's now getting acknowledged for this. Hopefully we, we see more stuff from her. Yeah, I I think it's, I mean, New York at that time, it's just, a, it's a wonderful story, but one you've seen before and and I, I, you know, this is a type of thing that it's just not for me. I, I see, I would have thought that this would be something that would be on stars in a few months, you know, like with those, the, the shows that are there, um, like power in that family, uh, yeah. which is not something that's my wheelhouse, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it just fascinates me who, who the jury chooses and why it's, it, it would be interesting to, to, to be actually be able to sit down and talk with them and, and figure out like what their, what their, what their mindset is for, for films, but good for them though. Cause it's a New York city based crew and congratulations. And also to add Lena Waithe is a producer on the film. So just throwing that out there it's a lot of names a lot of you know big folks attached to it um yeah. i don't know if this film got bought I, um 
I don't know. I I feel like it has, but I don't know who the distributor is for a thousand one. I'll have to get back to you guys on that. Um, so the next film is Young Wild Free. Uh it's funny because I, I reviewed this one for Black Girl Nerds, and um when I submitted my review on Rotten Tomatoes, I saw that one reviewer said the exact opposite of what I said. <laughs> I liked it, they <laughs> they did not like it. Uh but so young wild and young wild free has this huge plot twist that happens which i'm not going to talk about but i didn't see the plot twist coming some of the other reviewers and i apparently she's not the only one there's a couple of others said that they've seen this plot twist before um i i didn't i liked it i thought it was a very interesting and compelling script and story i loved the performances I think that Sanaa Lathan does not get enough credit for her work as a performer. I think on the come up is her character in that is almost in the same vein of this character. And she was really good in on the come up. Uh, so hopefully there's going to be some recognition of just her performance as a dramatic actor. Um, but aside from that, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the story. I think the only thing that really irked me, and I said this in my review is uh the Cassidy character <laughs> the the female lead she has this tendency to always use movie references in like almost every other scene and I can't stand it when writers do that it's it's a thing that writers who are like movie geeks love to do is let's use a movie reference because I am a big fan of this movie and I'm going to talk about this and insert it into my character's dialogue and um it's I, I just I don't see the point of it it's just not and it didn't add anything to the story like it didn't I could see it if it makes sense to her character if, it, if you know there was something to connect her affinity for films as to why this is dialogue that she's constantly spitting out but it it really had no connection to anything so it just more or less came off annoying um, and also I noticed people that hated the movie said that in their reviews. So I'm not alone, <laughs> but I did like the movie. I did like the movie. I didn't I see that one. Oh, you guys didn't see it. Okay. All right. Moving right along. Um, <laughs> Uh, the pod generation. I've already talked about it, so I won't go any further into it. You've already ripped that one. I know. I, I, ripped, I ripped that movie apart. <laughs> she would tell you got to do better with the actresses that you work with bro you got to do better you got to do better um all right next one is drift uh cynthia revo is the lead in this one um she plays a refugee who is stuck in a country and she's just trying to get by um she's ducking uh, law enforcement she's stealing from restaurants to find food and and you know just finding shelter wherever she can and I actually like this film it you know it was it was very different very unique it, it's a very sad story it, it's among the doom and gloom of the crop of films at Sundance uh, but Cynthia gives a very strong performance here and uh, it, it it's it's just a sad story about you know what refugees have to go through um so yeah yeah i thought it was i thought it was also very sad i also thought it was kind of slow for 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 a good stretch of time but um but cynthia Erivo is so good i mean i can't 
I I was able to deal with it. It didn't really bother me. And there's a, I think there's a pretty decent spin on this that I think is unexpected for people who 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 go into it. So, I yeah, I actually think this is pretty good. It's not it's not like on the upper end of one of my favorites here at Sundance, but it is a film that I think is is pretty good and and is worth for people to check out. Yeah, it's it's kind of slow, but um, I I do love Cynthia Erivo. I'm I'm always happy when I see darker skinned black folks on camera. I, I just, I really am. It, it was a downer though. And it was hard. Um, I, I do think that, and I have a, a friend, Zainab Ja is, is in it, who plays her mom, who I love her. She's such a great actress and it's wonderful to see her career keep, keep shining and rising. She's also in Black Panther um, in Wakanda forever. But it, it, one thing I will note was if you're going to do trauma, in that way, it's again a story. Child African soldiers. There's assault, sexual assault in it. The way that the directors chose to portray it, I think, if you're gonna do that kind of trauma, was really well crafted. Um, I do think it was too long. Um, I do think it was. It was. I didn't need to see that. <laughs> I needed to like do some, go hug a tree after seeing that. Um, but for for those who need awareness for that issue uh which is also an important issue i think that that it was really well acted and um and well directed the script could have been tweaked i think uh but but yeah do you know if this one has been picked up it has not been picked up okay it's one of those films that i could see somebody getting and trying to hold until later in the year Mm. um mainly for for Arivo just to see how how she might fare closer yeah. to award season even if the film itself isn't isn't worthy but her performance could be one that people want to keep an eye on so I don't know that's that's that was just my, my thought yeah and I believed her I, I I actually like her performance was was so real that she melted away from me and I felt concern for her uh as she was um you know, because she's not her sense of pride as being someone who's from London. That's what also got me is because this this, this could have happened to any any African person who is she she came from an upper class family. It's not like she was you know we, she wasn't the stereotype of a refugee. So as she went and was in this town, she knew where to go. She knew where the free buses were. She knew where the tourist sites were, so that she could could, you know, she would drink, you know, order something she could actually have. So it was interesting watching her performance, I think was really, really quite lovely. Cause I, I didn't think I was watching the actor. I thought I was watching the person and I felt concerned for her. Absolutely. I agree completely. Um, I, I have no doubt that this will get picked up. So it's just a matter, it's a waiting game at this point. Yeah. All right. So our next film this is actually next to Rye Lane, one of my favorite films at Sundance. Um, Fair Play, my goodness, this film was <laughs> amazing. Uh, shout out to <laughs> Chloe Chloe Demont who directed this. Which was this her first feature? Is this the first I time we? So. Yeah, I think it's the first feature. Yeah, yeah. She's, I mean... She directs on Billions and um, and also Industry, I think, but but definitely Billions. Okay, I th this film was just so brilliant. I love the dynamics between 
I mean, it's talking about gender dynamics between these two couples where we think this couple are in love and everything is all, you know, sugary sweet. And then we see this ugliness that unfolds when it comes to, uh, you know, work and power dynamics at this trading firm or hedge uh, firm that they work at. And, you know, a lot of insecurity with, with the, the male character and then she has her own insecurities and and just this back and forth between this couple and i i just love the way it just plays out and it just shows the ugliness of what happens in a relationship um when something as simple as you know getting a promotion at work and and having the potential to earn more money and being in a position of authority um, can really go down a different path. Um, This film, by the way, had a huge bidding war at Sundance. Netflix purchased it for $20 million. So uh, everybody will get to see this film on Netflix. It, I I don't think I've articulated how much I enjoyed this film, but I I thought it was good. Script wise, it was good. Uh, Performance wise, it was good. Um, I'm not going to go d- into details about that first scene that we see with them in the bathroom. It's a little <laughs> gross. And I That's thought, great. I and I thought at first I was like, okay, this is a little much. This is gratuitous. This is just not necessary. But then as the film plays out and then it ends, I'm like, okay, this has a metaphorical meaning here. So even down to that, I was like, wow, this this movie is deep on a lot of levels. So anyway, yeah. I'll leave it to you guys to. Share your thoughts. This for me was the film that kicked off the upward swing for uh, for Sundance for me. I absolutely loved every bit of this film. Going into knowing kind of what it was about, but not how far it was going to go. Um, it kind of felt like if you dropped a woman into the middle of a boiler room, and this is kind of how it would be. <laughs> uh, but, but what I liked about it is that it wasn't just about, you know, the Wall Street trading and all that kind of stuff. It was about a relationship built on power and money. And when yeah. you don't have like mutual respect, something as simple as a job promotion can send the whole thing spiraling. And I I love that and kind of the the shifting power dynamics in the film I felt were handled really well. Both performances I thought were great. This is the best role Alden Ehrenreich has had in a while. And he has the perfect punchable face for Better it. than Solo? So good. <laughs> So good. <laughs> I wanted to hit him like 10 times in the movie. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but man, this thing, like you said, it starts off with a, so this, with a scene as some will find gratuitous and some will, some will go into it and and uh, and uh, and not want to enjoy it based on that first scene. But that scene is is there for a reason. The same yeah. way the final scene is there for a reason. They the, they are, the movie is bookended in blood for, for different reasons. And it's just, I don't know. I just had so much fun with this. I kind of wish Netflix hadn't got it though, because mm-hmm. it felt like this could have been a perfect movie for like Neon or somebody like or that. A24. Right. To come in and it could have been like this year's Fresh or something like that. Something that could have mm-hmm. come out here and like really struck a chord with people and did well in the middle of the summer or something like that. But uh, but coming on Netflix, I guess more people will see it that way, which I guess is good. But uh, But yeah, Fair Play is a really, really good film. Yeah, I, I I agree. It, it's um coming from the Wall Street stuff. It, it just the the class issues between um between Emily, which is Phoebe from from 
Bridgerton. Bridgerton, yeah. Shout out, mm-hmm. you know, doing a good American accent there. And and Luke, who's kind of the the rich, you know, the rich boy. I loved all of the dynamics. And I kind of, you know, when whenever a couple starts off that in love, you know there's trouble when it's when it's that good. And I love that. I actually love that scene, but the the opening scene, and I won't give it away. I'll just say that having female screenwriters and directors who aren't afraid to go there with that, I'm glad that we're living in a time where those stories are being told because that's a realism that happens that we never see in scenes of intimacy that we're beginning to see more. And I like it. I'm here for it. And it and and it has meaning. Like like I said before, I thought, okay, this is disgusting, and we shouldn't be seeing this. But then, as the movie plays out, <laughs> you're like, oh, I get it. And Travis, you said it. it's it's bookended in blood, so yeah. we'll just keep it. Well, I guess I'm yucking my yum and my king here. Sat down to infinity pool, and uh, and and then you found out, oh, it's not that. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't see infinity pool. Although I like oh. infinity pool. Oh, we're but, we're, uh, we're going to talk about off, infinity pool. <laughs> it starts off in a way that with a, you know very bloody and a lot of people could take the movie the wrong way based off that first scene right uh, i hope they stick with it through that yes yeah yeah, yeah. okay so the next film is sometimes i think about dying uh with daisy ridley and this is a departure for her as an actor we she's obviously wanting to go into a different direction with this very grim dark again another gloom and doom <laughs> kind of movie you know kind of a magazine dreams kind of dark movie i i don't think it's as dark as magazine dreams but it's you know it i think it's a certain taste i don't i don't know if it's going to get like a whole bunch of folks clamoring to the theater to to see it it hasn't been bought yet um but i um, overall i didn't hate it i wouldn't say that i liked it uh it just it felt just very. You're gonna put that on the poster. I, I did. I'm not <laughs> sure I liked it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't like it. It, it just felt very mediocre to me. Um, I, I didn't care about the protagonist at all. Like she didn't resonate with me. I didn't care mm-hmm. about the relationship the protagonist had with the guy that you know was kind of supposed to help her because she's going through this depression and she's literally always thinking about dying. Um, so then this guy comes into her life and kind of supposed to help bring her up a little bit and i didn't even care about him like i just didn't care about any of the characters in this um so they they just didn't do much of a good job of setting uh the stage or developing her character enough to where you know a lot about her to where you want to know why does she feel this way um Mm -hmm. so Yeah. yeah it it didn't resonate with me yeah, this was not a great way to start the festival. This was the first film at the festival for me, as it was for a lot of people. Yep. Uh, I missed the days of Sundance starting things off with something rollicking uh, and not like a movie that was probably allowed in simply because it has Daisy Ridley in it. Um, right. Honestly, this movie's not not great at all. Um, it's very mediocre. It's very slow. And it's not like laugh out loud funny, except like in the workplace scenes, which I thought were really great in terms of capturing like how weird it is to be in like a really confined office with a bunch of big personalities. It can be, and if you're like the quiet one, it can be really, really, really odd some days at work. I get that. Um, Those things, those scenes really worked for me, but everything else with Daisy Ridley's character and the guy that she meets 
who, uh, like you said, is supposed to help kind of bring her out of her funk uh, in some ways. You know, it was cute to see these two kind of uh, social introverts gel, you know, kind of hit it off, like find each other. That was cute. But that's all it was, was cute. And it didn't go beyond that. I didn't really learn anything about her. I didn't really learn much about him, even though he was the only one who was talking because her character doesn't say anything in the movie, really. In fact, that becomes a plot point that she doesn't really say anything. Um, you know, I just, yeah, this movie was, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think it's going to find much of an audience. I don't really know what that audience would be. And if I did know someone who really liked that movie, I'd be kind of looking at them sideways. Like, really? What'd you like about it? You know, and what's wrong with you? You kind of so so. I don't know. Yeah, it, it probably people could probably pass on this one, and there's probably a reason why it hasn't sold yet. Didn't see it. Yeah, you didn't miss anything. You're not missing much. Yep. <laughs> 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 All right. Next up is bad behavior. Janine's talked about this a little bit. I'll I'll start by saying that I agree with Janine's assessment of the film. I didn't like it. I I zoned out through most of it. It just this is almost in the same category as sometimes I think about dying I didn't care about the characters they weren't compelling they weren't interesting as much as I love Jennifer Connelly um I just was like I don't care about this character (laughs) um and Travis you brought up a good point about like if this actor wasn't in this movie would people watch it I don't think so like if Jennifer Connelly wasn't in this I don't think people would care about this movie uh, I yeah. think it's based in New Zealand or Australia, uh, but so maybe maybe people in that part of town might appreciate this film. But um, I just uh, it it didn't it didn't hit me like some of the other films did. So yeah, yeah. like I said for like I said earlier, for me it was a 50 percent of a decent film. I I wasn't buying anything in the opening half in the resort. It just didn't. All of it felt felt fake and not in the good kind of fake like i know everybody there at the resort is is sort of being is sort of phony like they're being phony but the humor felt phony it didn't feel real um but i, but I did like it a lot more once jennifer Connelly and alice england were able to share time together on screen i thought they actually really worked well together um it is an odd film the humor is odd and maybe that's just alice england's sense of humor uh, maybe it's a bit of a new New Zealand sense of humor. I mean, Jane Campion, when she does attempt humor, which is rare, she's kind of, it's a little bit weird. So, um, so you know, it's a little bit dark and a little bit weird. And I guess Ingrid just picked that up from her mom. From her mom. So, but yeah, 50% of a decent movie. Um, it's probably one that most people will skip anyway. I don't think, I don't know how you'd sell this movie. It's probably never approach a, a multiplex anywhere in this country. So, it probably won't matter. <laughs> yeah. Would this classify as like more of a dramedy than a drama? I put it in the drama category, but it's definitely a dramedy. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's funny, Travis, because the first part of it is that I worked in that world. Mm-hmm. That's how the people are. Yeah. So I, I, it's even that show. humor. It's kind of like the 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 one who was his assistant. I really like Ben Whitshaw and uh, Whitshaw. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's funny where, when it's too true to life, sometimes people don't find it that funny because it seems like it's fake, but unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. after many years in wellness, that's how those things flow. Yeah. 
Well, another film with Ben Whishaw is Passages, which I saw, and um, mm-hmm. I liked it. I it was <laughs> it's a lesson <laughs> learned type of movie. It's a movie's like this is the lesson you need to learn when you do this in relationships. And uh, I just kind of like how it spirals into uh, what, I mean, I don't know if you would call it predictable, but we, we see that this is going down a path that uh, is a path to no return. And uh, I just like the way it plays out with these characters. Uh, Basically this Man is in a relationship with his husband, uh, played by Ben Wishaw. I forgot the actor's name. That's um, the German actor that's in the film. But uh, but he's in a he's in, married to him, and then he meets this woman who um, French woman, I think, and they get into a relationship. And then he's like, "Well, I actually want to go back to my husband now." <laughs> and there's a lot of back and forth between. Um, him being um with his infidelity issues let's just say that so i i liked it i like the story i i, I like the way we just kind of go through this journey and um great performances all around and yeah i really liked passages I, i'm not always a huge fan of iris Sachs. Now he always makes movies often makes movies about relationships that are ultimately doomed he makes those are the kind of movies that he makes but mm-hmm. this one was felt different to me Maybe it's because it was so focused on on Tomas, and Tomas is such a compellingly awful person. Like he's awful <laughs> right from the beginning when you first meet him. As a film director, he right. seems like a, like a just total, total jackass. And but then you see him in his personal life, and he's as destructive as a person can be. No concern for anybody's feelings but his own, and his desire for attention, his need to be loved his need to be the center of everything, his need to be desired and his unwillingness to let you be any of those things either, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it was just watching. And I love how simple it is. Like it doesn't, I don't feel like it's overly dramatic. I feel like it's very simple and true to life. I've probably been a guy like Tomas at a certain <laughs> point in my life, like somebody who, who, you know, I can, I can kind of understand them. You know, you, you're a guy who like, who, keeps attachments that you probably shouldn't keep as you're trying to move on to something else and everything gets tangled together and you know you just don't want to let something go you know and it, but i've never taken it as far as tomas does but i can <laughs> see i can see certain aspects of myself in him and i'm sure a lot of guys can uh i'm a big fan of adele extra chocolos who's from blue is the warmest color i think she's stunning but she's also an amazing actress as well she's really good in this and ben Wishaw. I mean, this is by far the better film that he had at Sundance, and it's a really good role for him as well as the as the as the boyfriend who's you know. At first, he starts off looking very timid and very mousy, and then he finally grows a spine once he gets a finally a full look at who Tomas is. I love the development of his character. I really enjoyed this film quite a bit more than that. And this is one of those movies that I went into without really knowing what I was walking into. I, I didn't really read the plot. I just knew it was Iris Sachs and Adele and Ben. That's all I knew. And I was very pleasantly surprised. One of those movies I go to Sundance to discover. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, this movie has not been bought yet. Uh, to Live and Die and Live. Uh, I reviewed I've this seen on- some of your comments about this one. 
You know, I I, I enjoyed this film. Uh, I think it. this is a film that for me, I put it in the category of a 1995 film called Leaving Las Vegas with Nicolas Cage because mm-hmm. uh, Joseph, well, no, Amin Joseph, uh, the main character who plays Muhammad, he's a filmmaker and he's, you know, struggling as a filmmaker, but he has this addiction to not only alcohol, but also to pills. Um, and he's just kind of going down this downward spiral and then throughout the film he's just like downing vodka like it's (laughs) like it's Gatorade or something like it's 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 pretty intense and then there's this sort of pixie dream girl that kind of comes into his life sort of like the Elizabeth Shue character um played by Sky Pete Marshall uh who you know kind of continues to allow him to just feel comfortable in his addiction um, because she's also a user Um, but she's a user for different reasons he's using drugs because he's struggling with life mostly you know failing as a filmmaker Um, but she's also got some issues that she's dealing with um, health-wise as to why she's in her own addiction so the film Kasim Bashir, who's the director, his films have, he he's really good at showing uh, stories about interpersonal relationships. This is his second film at Sundance. I think back in 2018, he did A Boy, A Girl, A Dream, um, which was actually um, starred Omari Hardwick in the lead role. And Omari Hardwick is in this film as well. Um, so I liked it. I don't know if everybody's going to feel the same way because the the pacing's a little slow and it's more of a character piece. I think if you focus on the character Muhammad and see this downward spiral that he's going through and really focus on Amin Joseph's performance, which I think is absolutely stellar because he's like a freaking walking grenade through this whole story. And you're just like, what is going to happen to this guy? Because, you know, he's downing vodka, he's doing pills. um, He's making some really bad choices that um, not only potentially could harm his life, but also others. If you focus on the the character, I think you're really going to like this film and and enjoy it for what it is. Um, and there is a, a good story behind it, but it was really the character performances for me that really struck me. So I, I enjoyed To Live and Die and Live. I didn't get to see it. I really wanted to. I I think the cinematography was good. It was really beautifully shot. Like the first scenes and of him coming to Detroit. And I definitely see the leaving Las Vegas aspect. I just never felt connected to the characters to really care. So, you know, I didn't, there was nothing that hooked me. So I just never, I just kind of was watching the spiral with it from a distance. So it was beautifully shot though. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, I feel like it's it's an acquired taste this film. I don't I don't think it's going to resonate with a large audience. It um also I don't believe has been bought uh and yeah, it yeah, it has not been bought. And also a quick plug, we spoke with Trevina Springer who's in the film and you can listen to her interview with us on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. All right. Uh next film that is up, we're going to actually actually before I move to another genre is there any other movies in the drama category that you guys want to bring up? Because I didn't see every drama film. 
Um, for me, I would probably mention Flora and Son. Uh, I missed that. Oh no, that one was not available to watch online. Yeah, yeah, I wanted they, to see they that. Let that one go online, which probably hurt its chances in terms of like awards, because I think it probably would have gotten one. It got a standing ovation at the screening I was at. Um, wow. as it premiered. Uh, that is the latest from John Carney. I am an unabashed John Carney uh, fan. I love Once. I even like Begin Again. I love Sing Street. Being at the world premiere of that was one of the best experiences I've had at Sundance. I love his I love his music that he puts into the movies. I love his stories about love and music and the way that music can uh, bond people romantically, uh, professionally, and in this case, bond a mother and son. It's, it's a different oh. angle for him. Uh, this was just a lot of fun all around. The best single performance of any of his movies uh, by Eve Houston. She's fantastic. Um, it's a really great film, and I hope people get a chance to see it. I wanted to see that. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed that they didn't allow us to stream that online because that was on my short list of films to watch. The only uh, other one I'll mention real quick is Cassandra um, with uh, with Gail Garcia Bernal. I am, and most people know this about me, I am a diehard professional wrestling fan. Uh, <laughs> I always have been. I've been to Lucha Libre shows in Mexico, so I was like, I need to see this movie. This movie's for me. Um, and, and it was. It's great. It, it gets the culture of Mex Mexican culture of Lucha Libre uh, perfectly. It also gets the biases of Mexican culture and Lucha Libre down pat uh, because the character that he plays, real real person, um, who was discriminated against because, um, you know, drag wrestlers are always treated as weak and frail and they would always get their butts kicked and the fans would, you know, would treat them poorly in, in life, too. And uh, and he was the first character, first one to kind of break that mold, almost like almost like their gorgeous George mm. uh, for us in America. A, a guy who knows flamboyant and unafraid to show a feminine side, you know, like that. Um, he's like their version of that. It's a really tremendous story. Uh, great athleticism in the in the film as well, uh, just like in real professional wrestling. I love Cassandra. It was definitely one of my favorites here. I did yeah, not get a chance to see that one, but I that is on my list um, because the director is Roger Ross, Roger, Roger Ross, Ross Williams. Williams. Um, mm -hmm. Say that three times fast. And um, he also recently directed the 1619 Project. So I definitely have this because it's always my goal to watch all of the films by the Black filmmakers. Um, so I did not get a chance to see Cassandra, but you know, hopefully, hopefully it has a buyer soon. I don't think that one has been bought either. Um, but yeah. So Janine, you didn't I see thought, that one either, right? No, I didn't. It was on, I wanted to, but we couldn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, are you going to do international films? Cause I've got a film that's a drama that I wanted yeah, to mention. Throw it out there. Yep. Slow was really good. It was from, I, she's, She's from Lithuania, but it's uh, Marcha. I'm gonna destroy her name, so forgive me. I think it's Taradadzi, and it is. It was. It was about a contemporary dancer, Elena, who meets Davidas when she's assigned to interpret um, via sign language a class that she's teaching with deaf youth. So he's interpreting the dance um, moves to 
to the, the deaf youth and it's contemporary dance. So it's very lyrical, a lot of floor work, a lot of contact improv. And he is asexual and he asks her out for a date and they get into this relationship. And so, and he says, I'm never going to change. And she falls in love with him. And there's this whole dance, there's dance in the film, there's performance of, and I, I love uh, lyrical contemporary dance. So whenever it's in a film and it's done well, connected to a love story where there's so much connection, but you can't quite connect. It was a perfect metaphor for the dance, for the relationship. And the idea of being in the in a relationship, being a sexual woman with a man who is asexual, the, who identifies as, as being asexual and having wanting intimacy and him actually in, instigating the relationship or you know, asking her out. It, it just really was a fascinating um, commentary and discussion into something I think we're not with different identities, people don't really talk much about asexuality and how that, how people coexist with that. So the performances were stellar. Um, it's subtitled. Um, and I love that it was fully um, ASL. So the movement parts of it, the dance parts of it, uh, them trying to negotiate their relationship when he gets jealous, when other guys, it's just so complex. And I love that when I leave a film uh, and, and the ending of it, um, probably saw it was going there, but it was just so beautifully done that there was so much care taken that you instantly, I instantly cared for both of these people in the first couple of moments of the, the film, which is very, very hard to do. And I love it when people are able to do that. So I highly recommend it. I will definitely check out Slow for sure. Yeah. Did um, that win an award? Didn't Slow um, win an award? I think it did. Let's see. For one of the foreign. Yes. Um, so under the jury awards for directing, screenwriting, and editing, it won the directing award under the world cinema cinema i can never say this the world cinema dramatic <laughs> category um so marja kavartsi uh i slaughtered her name uh she won that so yes well thank you for pointing that out yeah yeah um and then just going back really quick uh passages was bought by movie so Oh, that's right. It was movie, so no one's going to see it anyway. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I never even heard of movie, so that's I'm like Tubi. <laughs> you mean no? Okay, yeah. No, I feel I like movie. I feel like movie is the is the thing that like, um, oh my god, the the one lady she she does she, she's on like before movies like like and you go to a movie in the theater like she's like doing like in opening commercials. Yeah, I can't remember her name. <laughs> it's, it's bugging me it's a it's a greek name and i can never remember what it is um but she's i think she's part of movie and it's like it's some sort of weird streaming service thing oh whatever. gosh so that's a shame it. more people should see that movie oh is it british passages um i think it's a french film it's it's, I believe it's French American because Ira Sachs says his most of his movies are American. So, okay. Yeah. I think it's multiple languages because the the yeah. male lead is German. Um, she's German. She's French. And she's Lashar French. Is, 
is yeah. European. Yeah, British. yeah, yep. And Ben Wishaw is in it. Yeah, I was so. thinking maybe, maybe one that maybe it'll be on BritBox or something like that, which is more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's labeled a French romantic romantic drama. So. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I find it. Was there any other dramas? foreign or domestic that <laughs> I, mean, I don't know we, if these films necessarily fit in the drama category a film like eileen um with that was on my list i couldn't get it in i couldn't get it it wasn't and available thomas and mckenzie yeah. uh definitely one that you want to go into as cold as possible uh because there is i think a really great twist about three-fourths of the way into the movie uh, it kind of unrolls like it's going to be uh, um, uh, like another version of Carol with these two women who are finding one another, you know, in a in a place where, you know, two women uh, romantically aren't supposed to find each other. Um, uh, but it's not that movie at all. It's something else entirely. And and finding out what it is, is part of the part of the fun in that movie. That's interesting because the ads, I literally, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a knockoff of Carol. This is going to be like that. It's exactly what they want you to think. Yeah. Um, but it's it's something else. Um, oh, I love comedies? it when I love it when are trailers we doing dramas? Do are we doing comedies after this? Yes, we're doing comedies right now, actually. Okay. At least I got one for comedy. Okay. Um, yeah, I only have two that I've seen in comedy category. It was, it was pretty slim for cat- uh, comedy. Um, at Sundance this year. Well, it's because so, we already talked Riley Lane to death. So yeah, so we won't talk Riley Lane because that is on the comedy list. Um, so the next one is Theater Camp. Uh, Theater Camp. We know how Janine feels about it. I, I'll go into Theater Camp. I absolutely freaking love this movie. Um, oh no, who was it that didn't like it? Was it you, Travis, that didn't like Travis. it? Oh, Travis. Travis. Yeah. I loved I, it. I. That's right. You liked it. I absolutely love this movie. I, I, this movie got the most laughs from me out of all the films, you know, out of all the comedies, which actually for me was only two uh, (laughs) at Sundance. And um, I don't, the only criticism I have is not enough Amy Sedaris, not enough Amy Sedaris. (laughs) I love her so much, but I understand, you know, the, the role that she plays in the film, why she was absent through most of it. Um, but it was just so delightful. I liked both the child and the adult actors. I mean, Ben Platt was, you know, funny, but I thought the, um, I, gosh, I can't remember his name, but he was in the, remember the Netflix series uh, that was also sort of a mockumentary about the the kids in the school? Oh, gosh. Is Noah Galvin? Um... <laughs> It's escaping you know about my the guy mind. Who's, who's doing the lighting? That, I mean, or the, That's Noah or, Galvin. The, the, yeah, Noah Galvin. No, not the guy that was doing the lighting. The one that was the son of Amy Sedaris's character that took over the school. Oh, um, Jimmy, Jimmy Tatro. Isn't it Jimmy Tatro? Is, I don't know his name, but is I that... Think it's Jimmy, I, think that's, I think that's who that is. Okay. Do you remember the series that he was in, the Netflix series that he was in, which it was also like a mockumentary it was like one of my favorite ones. And because I'm of a certain age, I don't remember things past few years. Um, American, <laughs> so American Vandal? It. Is it American Thank Vandal? you, American <laughs> Vandal. Okay. Thank you. He was an American Vandal. I absolutely love that show, by the way. 
but he was really good in this and he I, he seems to have a knack for these sort of mockumentary uh genre type projects so i love seeing him i also loved seeing um and I, i'm probably gonna slaughter her name io edibiri yeah. yes <laughs> okay yes. we she, know her from yeah. the bear i mean she's like a um, rising star right now uh for Marvel? Yeah. Yeah, they just yeah. announced that. Marvel. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, she was amazing in this. I just absolutely thought this was so much fun. And, and I'm also curious to know how much was improv and <laughs> how much was scripted. And also, I love the editing. The editing was yes. really, really good in this, um, which yeah. added to a lot of the, the humor of the film where, you know, they just the camera kind of sits on the expression of the actor's face and then they cut yeah. to the next shot. So theater camp was a, another bright light among the doom and gloom of Sundance films this year. And yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I was a theater geek growing up as well. I, you know, I, I was in a drama group, so I can relate to a lot of the, the shenanigans and the experiences some of the kids had in this, in this film. And it it was it was absolutely amazing. I don't know if it's been bought yet. Um, I think it has though. It's bought, bought for eight million. Wow. Um, I believe by by Fox Searchlight by Searchlight. Yes, Pictures. it was. Yep, uh, it was 8, eight million. Eight million by which Searchlight. Is, which seems like a lot to me for this movie, but <laughs> it's it's got Mary Lou Henner, who is like big Broadway person and will ferrell our producers on this and for me one of the reasons i liked it and i did like the adults and i think i can i think i know the parts that were scripted um i love the fact that the four of them um noah and they're all friends who work together and they've been working in the industry and you know for for actors who i'm coming from performing and i did children theater for young audiences and when you are an adult working with children like that, like commit that it's so real, the commitment level and having your work wife and, and going, you know, the biggest thing being getting a tour uh, on, a, on a cruise so you can get a little bit of health insurance and, you know, that the whole the whole um, struggle, I think that people people don't realize that there are are so many actors out there who are working actors that aren't of the one percent who are valid and their work matters. And I feel like this particular film is kind of a, um, it's a homage and a blessing and an acknowledgement of all of those of us. And I still consider myself <laughs> in that in that ilk who are, are, um, who are out there doing the work and to be able to, to work with these kids. And I just thought that the, particularly the black actors in this, because they were, they just were people who are my friends who are like that teaching kids. They're like that dance teacher never stood up. <laughs> he was sitting in that chair. And I just have, like, I just love that. And it, it's kind of like, you know, New York City public school arts teachers are always the wildest ones in the bar latest at night on the weekends. <laughs> you know, they're doing the most nefarious stuff. So my my cheeks hurt. I was laughing so much during this and during so much trauma of this Sundance. Like I felt like I needed to get an extra therapy session for some of these movies. 
it was nice to actually laugh and have something that was just really stupid and silly. Agreed. Agreed. Um, theater camp won the special jury award, uh, for dramatic special. So, um, it was, it was for the ensemble cast. So U S dramatic special jury award ensemble for theater camp. So congratulations. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. Uh, any other comedies? That's the only two comedies I saw was Ryan Lane and theater camp. <laughs> Um, for me, I mean, uh, I would say uh, You Hurt My Feelings was also very funny. Uh, this is uh, Nicole Holoff Center's film, her reunion with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, Enough Said was, I think, Nicole Holoff Center's best film. Uh, this one's wow. pretty good, too. Uh, it kind of feels like two hours of, of Curb Your Enthusiasm in some ways. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, it's kind of like, uh, I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you don't like it, then it's probably yeah. going to be something. I love it. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's like we're something that most of us would probably consider to be a little bit minor, uh, blows up, <laughs> blows up, and becomes a lot bigger than it probably ever intended to be. It was ever intended to be. Uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, I think, is just one of the. She's so dynamic. She's yeah. good at physical comedy, but she's also really great at nailing the small moments better than just about any other like natural comedian that I've ever seen. She's just great. Um, Tobias Menzies is also really good as her husband, and this movie is like it's just like overloaded with comic talent from like top to bottom. I mean, you got like David Cross in there, Amber oh. Campbell's in it as well. Um, just a lot of fun movie. This movie, Michaela Watkins is in it as well. It's just a really fun movie, very funny. And I think Nicole Hoff Center's gotten a lot better at making comedies that speak to more than just privileged white people because that was what her that was the thing that i hated about her movies in the beginning like i never could connect with any of them um but she, i think she's gotten smarter and better at being able to make movies because look this movie has nothing but white people in it still but she's able to create characters that that have issues that most of us can relate to in some way and this one has that too so uh very funny i'll check it out I'll check it out as well. Um, I tried to get that ticket online. No dice. <laughs> no dice for me. Gone. That was like denied. <laughs> uh, any other comedies that anybody watch before I move on to I the mean, next? Could, I mean, I, there are some really funny parts of Infinity Pool. I mean, oh, we're, I mean... We're, well, horror is next, so we we can move right <laughs> on to horror. All right. Well, yeah, I look. It's kind of sad that the comedy category was so slim. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we probably could have put bad behavior in that category. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Bad some, behavior. Some ways, yeah. In some ways, Cassandra fits in there. In some ways, Foreign Sun fits in there. The play, thing about Sundance is Sundance is a place for hybrids. It always has been. You never get movies. You very rarely get movies that are any single one thing. Like even Fair Play is probably more thriller than it is drama. You know, True. so nothing is ever just one thing That's uh, at Sundance, or at least very rarely. I agree with that sentiment. All right. So horror, uh, Infinity Pool. Let's talk about it. So um, <laughs> I know how you feel about it because I saw your post on Facebook, Travis. I, I'm I'm going to start by saying um, I saw Twitter and social media and people getting in their feelings about it because I wasn't planning on watching it. 
And then I was like, okay, this is very polarizing. Let me see what this infinity pool is all about. And I didn't even know about Brandon Cronenberg. So I was like, oh, wow, he's the son of David Cronenberg. Okay. So I didn't know about him. Uh, but if you're familiar with David Cronenberg's work, then maybe you'll like this film. Um, but then again, I like David Cronenberg's work, but I don't like this movie. Reason why I didn't like Infinity Pool is because it was just going too far with the gore and the violence for me. There's a scene where someone is being stabbed and we see the stabbing into the flesh multiple times. And I'm like, do we need to see all of that? Like, it's yes. that. <laughs> and I think, I think horror fans are absolutely going to love this film. I, I really do. I, I think it, it for a faction of the cinephile community, there's horror fans that are just going to appreciate it. First of all, Mia Goth is like hot right now. Like she is like all the rage. Everybody loves her because of what she did in X and Pearl and all that. Um, but also uh, you've got Alexander Skarsgård, who we loved back in the day as Eric from True Blood. And and also they, they do give pretty compelling performances. I, I do give them credit for that. I just don't know what the story was about. I felt like all of the blood and the gore and some of the gratuitous, you know, sex, because there's some orgies going on and stuff like that. I felt like it just sort of over, I, I got lost in all of that. And then there's a, like a lot of flash images and stuff. And I'm not photosensitive at all, but it's kind of, it kind of sucks for people that have issues with like seizures and stuff. I don't know if they're going to be able to see this. Warning. Did, they did, did give a warning. They did warning? give a warning. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't they know did. if they they had it on the online too. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah, they give they gave a warning online. Um, but I don't know. I just, uh, it, it, I just I didn't I didn't care for it. So anyway, that's all I gotta say. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a big fan of Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, he's only done three movies, and they've all premiered at Sundance. He did Antiviral more than this decade ago, which is the film that put him on the map um and you know introduced himself you know introduced us to the son of david cronenberg and it was a body horror just like the kind that his father would make mm -hmm. sorry checking on my cat uh mm -hmm. and then a couple of years ago he did possessor which is one of my all-time favorite films at, at sundance uh because it's like this twisted sci-fi slash espionage film with a great performance from Andrew Riseborough and Christopher Abbott, in which they basically have to inhabit the same character at the same time really crazy stuff it's a great movie and this one is and, and Infinity Pool, I think, is great as well, just for different different ways. Um, I like that it's about privileged people and what they will do when they have there's no chance of them ever paying the price for anything that oh. they do. And that's what this movie's about. That's what this movie is ultimately about. It is about the extent that rich, privileged people will go when they never have to face the consequences. And I like that Brandon Cronenberg takes that simple idea, which, you know, you can say you can make a million different kinds of movies about. And he takes that simple idea and he takes it to the weirdest, craziest level possible. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not always the hugest horror guy, but I like horror movies from Brandon Cronenberg because I think he likes to try and get into the head of his characters 
um, and give you the gore that we expect from this particular genre. Uh, I think Mia Goff is incredible in this. Just she's doing X and Pearl level stuff here. She has my single favorite line that I heard in the entire festival. And she is the linchpin of the single greatest humiliation scene that I've ever seen in any movie in the history of movies. It is fantastic. And Alexander Skarsgård is great too, as a guy who exudes physicality in just about every kind of role he's ever done. He could have looked more like the opposite of that by the end of this movie. And, and, you know, I was, somebody asked me about his performance in it and I was like, I find it hard to believe that he was ever in the Northman after watching him in this movie. He's so, (laughs) he's so destroyed at the end of this, you know, his character goes through so much. Um, But yeah, another person who's a, a film critic friend of ours, despised the movie and and asked me in line at the next movie he was like he, he i guess he could hear me laughing during the movie because he was like travis i don't know what you found funny in that movie and i told him i was like if you couldn't find the ridiculousness in this situation that these characters are in then i got i got i got no help for you man this whole the whole thing is ridiculous the, the mia goth scenes the, had me laughing her, you ride her. with it or you don't yeah. and a lot, a lot of people are going to ride with it and i like that's cool i get it but for me it was absolutely brilliant i was having a blast watching that movie <laughs> <laughs> janine did you see it i didn't see it yeah i don't but, think you'd yeah. like it <laughs> i don't know i like i like me an orgy <laughs> but if, if magazine dreams bothered you i think this this is like on steroids magazine dreams on steroids just i also have to say when i'm when it's when it's white people i have a higher tolerance <laughs> i'm like oh, well, I'm, I'm okay to see white people going through some stuff because with what they do to us i i don't know with a c-cut forgive me i have like, all my white friends know but yeah I don't know if it's really, <laughs> I, yeah, see, I, I, when it's, when it's our, our, our people, I don't like seeing us getting all torn up. <laughs> I would, I tell you what, I'd like to see the black version of Infinity Pool. Cause I think oh, really? freaking hilarious. Yeah. I mean, uh, why, and why can't black people be in these it. type of movies? I'm not, you have to change it pretty significantly, but uh, I'd be. <laughs> I'm not saying that we can't and we can. It's just, I don't, you know, I just don't want to see us getting beaten up by, by the police all the time because I see that on television. You know? Oh, no, it, no, that, that wouldn't. Well, then again, yeah, you would you would see them being beaten up by the police then if it, if yeah. they inserted I black. Kind, I kind of wish we had a black filmmaker who made movies in the style of Brandon Cronenberg, somebody who's not a, who doesn't, doesn't mind pushing the limits. It's not like a Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele does a totally different kind of film. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. I wish we had a black filmmaker who made these kinds of films too that that are unabashedly gory and over the top, um, but we don't really have one of those that I can think of. Um, well, I wish I wish our culture could evolve to the place where you know we've gotten past all of the actual brutality on black bodies. Right. That we could actually, you know, we don't we don't we don't see brutality on white bodies like we do on black bodies. Just it's normalized. So yep. for me, it's just a, a matter of you know, let them have more gore. It's cool. I'm cool to watch it. And I mean, if it's orgy scene and <laughs> I like me an orgy scene. Orgy scenes, hey. Yeah. These orgy scenes. We had to have a conversation after this. We have to. What, let's talk. 
She's like, I, I like the orgy scenes. I'll watch it for that. <laughs> um, by the way, Infinity Pool um, was acquired by Neon, and it is having a release date of uh, J- hey. this weekend, I think. <laughs> I oh, think well, now, yeah. my my horror friends have been anticipating the release date all week yeah. for this movie. Uh, I had friends who were at the midnight screenings last night. They were all gung-ho waiting for Infinity Pool. They were waiting for my review, and they were... And really excited for Infinity Pool. So the people who are going to see it, they they're going to see it this weekend. Uh, they probably there won't be anybody else that sees it after this weekend, <laughs> probably because you know horror movies have a have a certain kind of fan base. They will rush out and see their movies early, and then it'll drop eighty percent the next week. So that's probably what will happen to Infinity Pool. Yeah, it, and it's probably not Meg, Megan in terms of box office. So it's it's not going to have a whole bunch of uh, repeat viewings or you know wide uh what's it you know word of mouth kind of situation i may go with some buddies to see it tomorrow though i mean if i'm honest so well and i think i may have to go see it because like anything that has people hate it or love it i've got to see it because it's actually you know it's it's a film that's saying something you know and for me for horror like i don't like clowns or dolls (laughs) or haunted houses no Megan for you, huh? I can't deal with any of that because <laughs> and 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 children walking, white children walking up the walls with a crook. I can't. <laughs> and people standing behind you all, like so. So yeah, that, those are my categories. You've just written off the entire <laughs> Bloomhouse filmography. Like, yeah, I can't. All off the. I, I the haunted house stuff is too much. I can't. Yeah. Now <laughs> I've got a question for you, Travis. So uh, Infinity Pool had an instant. NC-17 rating, um, but then it was downgraded to an R rating. Did the NC-17 rating play at Sundance? Or is the R no, rating? We got the R, we got the R-rated version. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, wow. This, is the, this, was, this was the version that was that was trimmed down to get to achieve the R rating. Sheesh. So uh, I imagine, scared. and I've heard rumblings already, there will be some sort of NC-17 cut released in the future, which I can't wait for. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, yeah, this was this was this was the tame version, Jamie. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> that, it's intense. It's intense for you guys. Jamie, do you like horror? Oh, I love horror, but I don't like the kind of horror where you see a knife being stabbed into someone's flesh 10, 15 times repeatedly. Yeah. That type of horror. I don't like that kind of horror. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I like I I like more of the psychological horror, you know. So like I thought, Megan was fantastic. You, I know you said you don't like dolls, that. but like Chucky, Megan was I used good. To like, I, Chucky. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to see Megan, and I don't want to see Scream in New York. That's messed up. No, 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 no. Doll <laughs> it's horror. my city, and now and people. Oh my goodness! Doll horror is basically my favorite subgenre of horror. Like, Dog yeah. horror. Going back, to, going back to like Puppet Master and stuff like that. I'm a big fan. Yeah, of, yeah. Of they're oh, I love the dolls. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love Asian horror. I'm a, a huge fan of Asian horror. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm too much of a nervous person for that. I'm trying like with <laughs> Sissy last year that I, I, with Black Girl Nerds has expanded my horror because I've, <laughs> I've had to watch a couple of horror films and I've been like mm-hmm. so then I see this. So Sissy actually was the one that was like, hold on a second. Um, but yeah scary dolls i can't deal with it i'll be up all night (laughs) 
Well, this next horror film does not have dolls in it, um, but it does have an animal in it. Um, this film is called My Animal, and it has to deal with a girl who is a werewolf. And uh, I actually really like this film. It She's more than just a werewolf. She's dealing with other issues. It's I think the time is set in the 80s because it feels very dated. It looks very dated. I don't think they ever say what time, it, you know, what year it's set in, but I'm pretty certain it's like the 80s. Um, and, and she's a lesbian and she's kind of still in the closet, um, but she's also hiding the fact that she's a werewolf. Uh, her character, oh, gosh, I forgot the name of the actress, but she meets with Amanda Stenberg and Amanda and her, they, you know, form this relationship and then it kind of goes into a different direction um, when Amanda's character rejects her. So I, I won't go any further into it than that, but I really loved the way it was shot. I think uh, the cinematography looked really, it was very mood setting. There's a lot of hues of red throughout the film um, and maybe that connotes blood or something like that. But I I just love the way that the director went with that. And also it has sort of this like, grainy dated look to it so it it kind of looks like those 80s campy <laughs> films from from back in the day and um stylistically i like the way the film looks so i enjoyed my animal anybody else see i it? didn't get a chance to see it uh that was the movie i was gonna i should have watched instead of all dirt roads taste of salt uh so <laughs> 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 so it was my my bad on that one i didn't see that one either all right. Uh, so Jacqueline Castile is the director, and I just wanted to give uh, the name of the actress that plays Heather, the lead, which is um, 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 Bobby Salvor Menus. So I I slaughtered her name, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so then our next film is Talk to Me. I really enjoyed this one. Talk to me. The directors behind it were these like YouTubers and they got really famous on YouTube and now they've got their first feature film. It's a, an Australian film and it's about these kids that like to play seance games, which I didn't even know this was a thing, but they play these games where they're doing these seances and the seances are timed. And if you stay too long into the seance, the spirit that overtakes the person that's in the seance will be taken over by the spirit permanently uh so that is the premise of the film and unfortunately one of the characters has that situation happen to them i absolutely loved it i love the the characters i i love the story behind it very unique story there's a really interesting plot twist that happens at the end um I, I love the lead character. I don't remember the actress's name, but I thought she did a really great job in it. And um, great practical effects used through it. Great camera shots and direction. Uh, overall, just, you know, a fun film that is definitely perfect for the midnight category. I think horror fans are definitely going to, you know, flock to the theaters with their friends on on a late night to to watch this film. I just hope that they don't, practice seances and <laughs> try to do what this film story actually does because it's it's kind of creepy 
Um, did anybody else see? Tom's you know they will. <laughs> I didn't get I know, to see right? this one. I, I wanted to, but my uh, my online pass expired before I could get around to watching it. I really want to see it because it sounds like it sounds like Flatliners meets Ouija, you know, which which to me sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, so yeah, I'm definitely. It's one of those I'm definitely going to try to seek out um, closer to whenever it gets released. I assume it will be at some point. Yes. Enjoy. Um, Talk, talk to me um got picked up by a24 yes okay. a24. Yep. i always love it when a24 picks up a film because you know it's gonna get an audience and you know people are gonna watch it oh yeah and potentially if it is something that becomes awards worthy a24 has a great uh awards campaign um so anyway uh good for danny and michael philippou the directors of talk to me janine did you see it by the way sorry i didn't mean to skip over you uh-uh spirits talking no 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 <laughs> I, I don't know if you're ready for an infinity pool i just don't know <laughs> I, <can't laughs> I can't do no spirits no yeah yeah uh-huh. yeah, yeah no 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 there's a movie <laughs> that um I don't ever want to watch, even though, you know, I'm pretty liberal when it comes to horror, but I refuse to watch The Entity just because it's based in truth, like it actually happened. I don't know yeah. if you guys ever heard of that film. It's a, it's an old um, uh, movie about this woman who's actually like sexually assaulted by a, a spirit and it happened like in real life. And I'm like, no. I don't want to watch movies where like these things actually happen to people. Right. I, I think Barbara, thing- Barbara Hershey's performance is classic in that yeah. in the entity. So yeah, and that- so and so are the sound effects when she's being assaulted. I was a child in the seventies. It's a- and I, <laughs> and I think somebody I like it. I have older siblings, and I think one of them might have taken me to the Exorcist, and we weren't supposed to. <laughs> and that was the whole like that and and Amityville horror. I remember being because that haunted house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, ever since then I'm like, no, p- people getting possessed. No, 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 no. I can't. <laughs> and so even that girl walking up the wall, like I'm gonna have to do some some. Where's my sage? I'm gonna have to do something tonight because we're even talking. You know, about- it's, it's. I mean, I I <laughs> have watched. I, I have watched the Amityville films and like the Conjuring films because um, those are also based on real events. But uh, it always creeps me out to know that like this actually happened. These people actually had these experiences. So yeah, I, that's not even. But yeah, I, ain't I could no I could do the the slashing more than the actual demon possession Ouija board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, <laughs> but that but, talk, but talk to me is good. Watched. Talk to me is good though. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the next horror film is Run, Rabbit, Run, which doesn't really feel like a horror film. It's more of a thriller, in my opinion. Uh, this, I believe, got picked up by Netflix. It was I. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I, I love the 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 lead actress that was in it, um, but I don't know. I I was zoning out a lot when I was watching Run Rabbit Run. So the story was interesting and I really liked the way it ended. But other than that, I, I don't know. It didn't it didn't resonate it didn't resonate with me compared to like the other horror films. Like it's not a movie that I'm gonna remember and talk about with friends or just be like, oh yeah, that was a great movie. Um so yeah. It was it was 
it's in the mediocre category for me. Yeah, same for me. Uh, this was part of that first day where I saw this, and uh, sometimes I think about dying on the same day, and it got Sundance off to a really laggy start. Um, I think I wanted to like this more than I actually ended up liking it because I really I'm a big fan of Sarah Snook uh, from from Sarah Secession. Snook. She's a great yes. actress, um, and in general, I like these movies. This this new kind of subgenre of horror about about mothers and their children and dealing with maternal instincts and things like that and trauma and how these things can how these things can affect a child and, and it can affect your ability to parent i that there's been a, a whole raft of these movies lately from hereditary to to goodnight mommy to just a bunch of them and in general i like that and the baba duke i mean i there's been a whole mm-hmm. bunch of these movies lately and I, and I think most of them most of them have been very effective this is probably the least effective of the bunch uh, and mainly because I don't think it does anything that that separates it from those better movies. There's not much iconic imagery in it for me. I, I didn't. There weren't a whole lot of scares to it either, and I just didn't find that it did anything that sets itself apart. And I think that's probably the only thing, which is why it's not really all that memorable. Did you understand why the girl was wearing the rabbit mask through part of the movie? I, I didn't get the connection there. I mean, I, I, I kind of if I, I kind of could could say what I think, but it would spoil the movie. Okay, yeah. Then don't. So I mean, so I don't. And I could be in like one hundred percent wrong in my theory on that too. By the way, but it's just, yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't explained very well. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't, but more than not that I need them to explain everything, but it wasn't teased very well either. So right. I don't know. <laughs> I have to make a guess about what the reason was. Yeah. And and just to be clear, this is more in the psychological thriller category. It's technically not horror, but I just put it there because I don't want to yeah. put it in the drama category. So it's, you know, there there's like a couple of jump scares in it. But yeah, it's more, more of a psychological thriller. And it's in the midnight category, isn't it? Isn't it in the yes, midnight category? It is. So yeah, it's it's more along those lines. But I mean, if you're looking for a psychological Thor horror that was great at Sundance, go see the Night House or something like that. Like that was fantastic in, at Sundance. Mm, yeah. But this is not on that. This is not on that level at all. Not even close. Not even close. Nope. Um, that's all that I saw of horror. Was there any other horror movies that you guys saw or psychological thrillers? Not really, nope. Nah, nope. I don't think I did. Nope. Okay. Um, well, I, uh, I, there's one I forgot to mention. I don't think it's uh, it's more drama, but can I mention it? The Starling Girl. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Um, I I really love that one. It's more. I mean, it's more psychological drama. It's a, a young woman who is she's 17 and she's in a concert, a fundamentalist Christian religion. And uh, the she get, ha, gets involved in an entanglement with the married 27-year-old preacher <laughs> who's come back. He's the son of the main preacher. He's been away in uh, Puerto Rico uh, converting people. And it's uh, Bill Pullman's son plays the, the mm. preacher. And it's uh, oh, directed by... Eliza Scanlon yes. started there, right? Eliza Scanlon, yeah, she, she yeah, plays good. the main girl. Um, <laughs> it's a great cast. Ren Schmidt, who I think she's also in For All Mankind, which is a show that I love on Apple. 
uh, it really, as someone who grew up in a similar religion, it really gets the patriarchal, uh, the patriarchy correct in this, in these types of closed societies. And, and for me, the suspense was her, she, the girl always has agency in this film, which was really stellar to see. And this is a story that's done quite a bit, but it's never been done quite in this way. And it was, uh, the director is out of NYU, Laurel Parmet, and she's not from this community. And she did research on closed Christian communities, which are actually growing in the United States right now. These are, are um, these societies that are the fundamentalists, very connected to QAnon and things like that. Um, but she did a lot of research and, and really portrays them respectfully. This particular film doesn't deal with QAnon or any of that, but it's just, it takes place in Kentucky. Something that I never thought that I would like, but I really was definitely intrigued by this film. It was really well done. I have to check that one out. I don't think that one's been bought yet. So fingers crossed that it will be um any others that we may have missed I've, I've covered all of the genres a couple of them that i saw that we didn't really talk about i, I ignored them in the comedy categories uh shortcomings which is randall park's film i already talked about how we shredded that one didn't really like it didn't buy it um uh and poor randall also, park <laughs> i know poor randall park well, look, tried, this, this is one of those things that, that happens at Sundance. Randall Park's a, a seemingly really nice guy. Uh, I'm he sure is. the screening was packed with his friends who laughed at everything. Um, <laughs> but it was Shots not, fired. A funny, not a funny movie. Um, and Polite Society, which a lot of people are talking about, um, which I, I, I and I understand why a lot of people are probably gonna gonna like it because it's a it's kind of like. It's kind of like a twist on the on the Jane Austen type of movie, you know. It's um, you know, a girl who's you know wants her independent, uh, uh, Pakistani girls uh, who wants her independence from her family. She wants to love who she wants to love. She has a sister who she connects with, but her sister is getting married to a to a guy that her sister doesn't think is good enough for her, and she doesn't think her sister should be getting married to just anybody either. So you got this whole Jane Austen era type stuff going on, but there's also a lot of like over the top martial arts and sci fi and humor, and it mixes all these different kinds of genres together, and the and the result is a film that is never boring I, I that's not the movie's problem the movie the movie's the movie's problem to me is that i just didn't find it very funny and i didn't think that the mix was quite right like there's some stuff that they want you to take very seriously but it's hard to take seriously because it's right next to something absurd and and i think that's it's another one of those cases where i think there's a different edit of this movie that could really work um but and I think it's already been picked up too. I think it got bought already uh, for a pretty hefty amount, if I remember right. Um, when it comes out, people are going to love it, and I already know that. And I'm going to end up looking like a like a doofus. <laughs> <laughs> I've accepted that. That's what's going to happen. Uh, people are going to go back look at my review and say, "What was wrong with Travis that day?" But um, but uh, but yeah, I think a lot of people are going to are going to gravitate towards that movie, even if I didn't like it that much. Stand by your review. Stand by it. I always do. 
I know. I just I, that's why I already know what I'm in for, and so I'm like, I know you know I'm going to get the get the, get the criticism in a few months or something. So <laughs> I'm used to it. People won't trust your opinion if you like everything. I think exactly. I don't. There you go. Tell the truth. Totally yep. agree. Yep. 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 All right. Is there any other films that we might have missed? Uh, of course, we didn't cover every movie at Sundance, uh, but we didn't see every movie at Sundance. So here's the question I... that I've posed to people at Sundance. I always pose it to them at, at Sundance every single year. Um, while we're there, the Oscars come out every year while we're there. I hate that, but it's true. It's just what happens. So my question always is, have we seen anything that we think is going to be an Oscar contender for next year? Great question. Jamie? I mean, I kind of sort of alluded to it. I think that um, Jonathan Major's performance in Magazine Dreams should be looked at for awards consideration. I don't think it's going to happen because, number one, I don't think enough voters are going to watch this film. Um, I mean, truth be told, even though Danielle Dudweiler was in the conversation for a long time for Till, there was still a lot of voters that didn't want to watch it because they didn't want to watch it because it was, you know, traumatic type of film. Um, and I think that this is going to be one of those cases where just voters don't want to watch it because it's just too, you know, it's filled with trauma porn. Um, so for that reason, it's going to be unfortunate, but it shouldn't be taken away from him. I, I think it's the greatest performance of his career. Um, in the documentary category, I think that Kokomo City should definitely be considered for best documentary. Will it get it? I don't think so. Because <laughs> Magnolia bought it. And Magnolia, you, they don't <laughs> campaign. I mean, we don't even get screeners, you know, as for us in the Critics Association, we don't even get screeners much for them. So, um, yeah, I just don't know if... Um, I, 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 it's, it's hard to say. I, I'll, I'll add this and I'll, I'll give it over to, to Janine. Sundance movies rarely get to the Oscar campaign. There's a few, I mean, obviously Coda last year won Best Picture and that came out of Sundance. And then you've got films like, you know, Get Out from back in the day, but you don't really often see Sundance movies as Oscar favorites. Because people have short memories and people look at the films that have just come in within that last quarter of the awards season. And also the studios start campaigning for those films more than they do the Sundance films. Um, so, so yeah, I, there, there's not really a huge standout, but, you know, I, hopefully Jonathan Majors gets some recognition and hopefully, you know, people will look at what Kokomo City has done and is doing um, for shedding a light on a marginalized community in the, in the documentary category, it gets some attention. Yeah, that's such a great question. I don't know if, um, you know, usually with the Oscars, if the films have some sort of uplifting hook or a hook that's either positive or compelling or, or touches your heart in some way and nothing at Sundance touched I don't think this was the year for that I think I agree with Jamie if it, if it was anyone it would be Jonathan Majors and and I also think I mean he's doing three films this year that acquire require that physicality playing Kang and also Creed so 
he's getting, you know, the bang out of his buck for having that body right now and being the body guy. So since he's got that trifecta of films coming, he's going to be in the public eye. So I think this could be the performance that could put him on the list. Will he win? I don't know, but he could get nominated. I agree with the, for the documentary category, um, Kokomo City, I, I think also because if with the Oscars getting political and if they are able to, um, depending on what trends happen in our politics against trans kids, you know, the trans society, usually in the arts, they're going to stick up for um, LGBTQ plus communities in a certain way. And so I think Kokomo City and Stroll could possibly, but everything else, I really don't, I don't think anything else will be nominated. I don't see another CODA, you know, because CODA left you with such a feeling of hope and joy and, and togetherness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Coda also came out of nowhere. I mean, I remember being at the premiere of that movie last year, and none of us walked out of there saying, that's the best picture. None of us yeah. said that. Now, a lot of us said this is going to be a really, really solid movie that comes out in the middle of the year, and it'll be a big hit. And, you know, it did do really well in the middle of the year, but I don't think any of us thought it would have the, the kind of connection with people that it ended up having. I don't know if I saw a movie this year either. I mean, there have been other years where I've gone in and I've been like, this is an obvious Oscar contender, like, the year I saw Brooklyn, like when I saw Brooklyn, I was like, that's going to be an Oscar contender, best picture contender. And it was, but, uh, but there, this year, I'm not so sure I found that movie. Um, you know, there are a couple that I, that I hope will be remembered around the time of Oscar season, like Flora and Son. I hope that gets remembered, but John Carney's movies don't always get that, that kind of love. In fact, they very rarely do. Um, except for music. It's probably, a, it's probably a song in there that'll probably get nominated or something, maybe. But uh, in terms of things that are obviously Oscar contenders for me, I'm not so sure that I found one either. Um, it'll be interesting if Jonathan Majors doesn't get nominated for his performance. Just a couple years removed from from Joaquin Phoenix getting nominated for Joker, the roles are so similar in a lot of ways, and the mm. film's tone is so similar in a lot of ways. It'd be very interesting to see if he gets ignored uh, based on that. Um, but uh, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I've seen that movie this year. That's a guaranteed surefire Oscar movie. But it's like I said, it's a question I ask every year to the people who've been at Sundance. That's such a great point to compare Jonathan Majors and Magazine Dreams to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker because tonally they're exactly the same. Um, Mm -hmm. And both are very dark films. So if you're willing to sit through Joker you should be willing to sit through magazine dreams. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I never thought about that comparison. I mean, obviously Joker, it comes from a very popular franchise and it's in the Batman universe and all of that, but still it's, it's a pretty dark film. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Joaquin Phoenix does have a lot of support and, and connection to the industry where, he will always probably get more awards consideration over uh, other actors like Jonathan Majors. But I think Jonathan Majors, Janine, you bring up a good point. The fact that he's got these other big films that are coming down later on the road, that are coming out later on down the road, that may put him in the zeitgeist of the conversation around 
awards and and that's that's good it's just it honestly just depends on who ends up buying this film um and if it's a studio that really gets behind their their actors and they campaign for it heavily so so we shall see that is such a big factor depends on who gets it some some studios are really good at promoting their movies around this time of year um one of the reasons why why Weinstein was able to get away with all the stuff that he was able to get away with was because he was so good at campaigning around yep. this time of year. You know, he's, he was so good at winning, you know? I mean, the um, fact that Shakespeare some... in Love won over Saving Private Ryan to exactly. this day, I will never, but I, exactly. it's not that I never understand, but still it's like, that is the power <laughs> of Weinstein. You've got this yep. movie that was so mediocre, in my opinion. Um, winning Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan, which was just epic in so many ways, which everybody thought was a shoo-in. Um, but yeah, the power of Weinstein. Um, yeah. Well, now it's the power of Twitter. Like this, um, do you see that the Academy is conducting a review of the Oscars campaign rules from I the um, Andrea Riseborough? I saw that. Mia Farrow. And I don't know, what do you all think about that? Because I thought that, I mean, I... Mia Farrow and and I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow and a bunch of people started tweeting, and and I think she bumped Danielle Dashwood. <laughs> I mean, because no one's seen this well, film. I haven't. I haven't. Have either of you seen it? I reviewed it earlier this year or uh, earlier last year. I reviewed to Leslie. Um, it's she is really great in it. Yeah. She really is. And I and That's I, I, I tweeted. I tweeted and hashtagged for her. To uh, to get some recognition this this Oscar season for for that role for her performance, but did I think it would amount to anything? No, I assumed that a lot of people just would not were going to watch that movie because it just kind of came and went. Um, it does matter that people were talking about it at the last couple of major award shows. Um, that has made a big difference. Um, and if I'm honest, yeah, her getting in probably did knock out Daniel Deadweiler. It probably did. I, I would. Daniel Deadwild's problem is that a lot of people didn't want to watch Till, and those who did, like me, thought it was just okay. Yeah, uh, that, really that's, that's probably if, if, if it was more of a profound, like, oh my God, this movie's incredible, and Daniel Deadwild was incredible in it. It, it would have been too good for Andrew Rice World to knock out. Those but, should have come out before all of the other Emmett Till before his the anniversary. I think if it had came out a, a a while ago, it had, but because it, the director has was really pushing to say that it was uplifting and it was the, but we had a television show, a limited series about it, a couple of films, a couple of documentaries. Um, I think it's actually kind of hopeful because the the Oscars are, it, it's such a closed club of campaigning so it's heartening let's get Gwyneth Paltrow to like (laughs) (laughs) we need to get her on our side and Mia Farrow and get them to start tweeting about about um about Jonathan Majors and maybe he'll get (laughs) get on there you know if if Till come out in December we might be talking about a totally different atmosphere for that role you know I mean she probably would have she probably would have gotten a nomination if it had come out in November or December or something like that. Um, yeah. But then again, what do I know? I thought Will Smith was going to get nominated for Emancipation. So what do I know? Uh, I don't know anything. So <laughs> I don't know if Will Smith no, get nominated. <laughs> I thought he was going to get nominated. I didn't say that I thought he fun. deserved it. 
I just thought he was going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely didn't deserve it. But uh, I thought he was going to get one. <laughs> I, you, know, you know, I, I first of all, as far as the Andrea Riseborough conversation goes, I think she definitely knocked out Danielle Deadweiler just because Danielle Deadweiler was um, nominated for both a SAG and a BAFTA. So yeah. a lot of people thought she pretty much had it. Um, and she won a Gotham award, even though the Gotham's don't have that much weight still, she won. Um, so she was in the conversation for quite some time. As far as like the social media stuff goes, I think the social media stuff had, um, an impact, but Travis brought up a really big point, And I think that that's what pushed it over the edge was the fact that she was mentioned on not one, but two award shows. Colin Farrell shouted her out during the Golden Globes and then Kate Blanchett shouted her out during the Critics' Choice Awards. That goes yep. a long way. <laughs> so um, think I they think they were all working together. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, the awards campaigning is like politics. It's it's literally politics. You're politicking to to win. So you're going to get with a group of people and, and that are going to lobby for you just the way lobbyists work in government. It's the same yeah. game that's played. I mean, people think that the Academy Awards and all these other award shows is based on merit. And and yes, that's a big part of it. But in totality, it's it's about who can get their name out there and who can be seen and, and, and the visibility of it all. That's what really gets people the nomination. It's not just, oh, their it's, performance was really, really good. Uh, Hollywood in Oscar season, it's the floor routine at the Olympics. It's all subjective, you know, and as long as you don't fall on your face, then you got a chance as long as you got people who are root for you. And that's all, that's all it is. You know, it's all subjective. We're not guarding. We're not doing anything with scores here. You know, it's all who thought, who liked what, who didn't, blah, 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 blah. And that's all it is. My taste is no no better or worse than somebody else in the, on the academies. The only difference is they got to vote. So, you know, it, it just, it is what it is. And I, I've long, long since accepted that the Oscars are not about choosing the best of anything. It's just about who wins. Well, and that's why, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long we're going to go, but I've been thinking about the Nepo babies type of, we were talking about that a little bit. I think it's all connected because, you know, when you're on set with people, you want to be on, to make a film, you're making a little family and you want to be on set with people that you like and that aren't going to be a pain in the butt. They're going to learn their lines, hit their marks and do what you need them to do. And once you get those people, you stick with them. So family would if you for the people who are bringing their family into it unlike Idris Ilba who, who did not let his wife saw his daughter in I, I mean I don't I, I I mean I wish there were more black actors who if we if in in black filmmaking if we were able to do or break in in that way to create community in that way to um to create equal and to start looking at and I think people are doing that like Issa Rae and different different folks who are starting to produce and and work with family may not be such a bad thing I don't know I don't know what y'all think and that, that might be way off the subject matter so tell me to shut up if it is no I don't think I don't think you're that far off honestly no. no, no. I mean, I, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, I haven't read the article about the review that the Oscars are doing with the uh, 
Andrea Riseborough campaigning. So if there are some rules that are out there when it comes to whether it's, you know, nepotism issues or whatever, um, I'm curious to know what those uh, guidelines are. But I'm I'm all for us getting together and rallying as a community and, you know, getting Black Twitter to coalesce and start, you know, tweeting about whether it's Jonathan Majors or any other actor um, to be looked at for for best actor, best actress, uh, the next award season. Because, yeah, you know, it's, it, we don't have any directors, Black directors, female or male, that's ever won. Um, we've only had one woman, Black female, that's ever won an Oscar. Um, the men have done okay. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it's not been many of us and and there's so many great films with um black folks in it that we need to highlight and and show so yeah i'm i'm with you on that janine but i i'm curious to know what rules were broken or what's going to be reviewed uh with the I'll do more situation research. yeah i haven't read it i've only seen the headlines so I'll, I'll definitely take a look at that article yeah yeah the only thing i can think of them possibly doing is setting a, a standard for how, how many theaters that the movie can be released in because i'm pretty sure it didn't get released very wide at all so i don't know i don't know what they're going to do but i'm i'm curious to read read this article as well and i'm curious to watch it because um i i have not seen the film but just yeah. like you said travis i've heard from so many people that seen it that her performance was absolutely stellar uh so and the story behind it sounds very interesting too so i i definitely want to check it out and um and see what it's what it's all about but i will say this you know even though it sucks that danielle's uh sort of got kicked out because of this it's sort of inspiring to know that you can have an actor get nominated mm -hmm. for a best actor award and make a movie for like i think they made it for thirty thousand dollars like yeah. an independent yeah. film grassroots yeah. campaign Nobody yeah. barely saw it and you're not, able, a, not a, yeah. Yeah. And you're able to get someone to, to be able to get one of the most highly esteemed um, nominated uh, awards in, in Hollywood. So it, it's yeah. kind of a win for the indie industry when you think about it. Um, and in general, I am a huge fan of Andrea Riseborough. I'm happy to see her get, get some acknowledgement because she's Wasn't one of those she actors. Matilda? She's huh? Was she in Matilda? Uh yes, I think she was actually the mom, I, I mean, and she, she might like, have been. She disappears but, but into I, every ball. We I mean, interviewed her on. That's the, that's oh, the thing about Andrea Riseborough. She's a, she shows up in a lot of things, and she looks wildly different in every single thing that she's in. Mm -hmm. And it's I think it's it's really hard for people to get a handle on her, and she's easily forgotten that way because she kind of blends in so well, and all the things that she does. But yeah, does she? Yeah, almost that you just kind of forget about her. So I'm happy to see her get this kind of recognition. I think people, other real people realize that too, which is why they put so much effort into getting her noticed. Because otherwise the film just kind of would have quietly went away. You know? Yep. So. Yep. 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 Agreed. Agreed. So there's a lot to be said on, on both sides of the issue, but I am very disappointed that Danielle did not get the nomination. I, I, I had like 24 hours of just being angry and then i was like okay woosah. it's okay jamie you'll, you'll be okay i probably was more upset about it than danielle was um <laughs> or her team she appreciates, she appreciates your morning <laughs> i i yeah 
had you locked for that. Um, well, cool. Listen, we had anticipated this to be an hour, and we've gone <laughs> way over that. Oh, no. <laughs> Six hours. Of <laughs> um, Happy but- cutting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. I I really enjoyed this conversation. I love talking about movies. I love watching movies. Um, so thank you guys for your time and um, gracing me uh, with your time and and just allowing me to have this space to uh, chat with you about Sundance. Uh, thank you, Travis. Thank you, Janine. Is there anything that you guys want to shout out before we wrap this up? Uh, for me, you just check me out every day at punchdrunkcritics.com. Uh, if you live in the D.C. area, uh, I will be once again, I think for like, uh, maybe 10th year in a row, me and Tim Gordon will be hosting D.C.'s biggest Oscar night party. Uh, we'll be watching the Oscars and making you laugh um, until we get tired of it. And then we'll just start giving away prizes, um, you know. And then uh, so, yeah, uh, join us on, uh, at the Arlington Cinema and Draft House uh, on Oscar night. And we will be there to entertain you. And hopefully this year no one will get punched. <laughs> uh last year somebody got punched at the Oscars and what? nobody could stop talking about it the whole time. We had to spend the entire night talking about that. <laughs> so hopefully that does not happen this year. I might swing by because <laughs> I'm in the DC area, Travis. I'd love to do, please do. It's always a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of people. It's good. Um, I just would like I, I want to shout out Black Girl Nerds. I'm so um excited to be one of the contributors to to Jamie's lovely community of writers and just to say a special thank you to Jamie for all of her patience and uh, really elevating uh, the writing of so many of us and, and giving us a, a space to amplify our voices. And um, I have my own little blog of my own called Viz Able Black Woman with the V uh, where I just talk about films and television and all sorts of stuff that is going on in wellness and all that good stuff. So thanks, Jamie. And it's nice to meet you, Travis. Nice to meet you too. You have to come do my show uh, once, uh, sometime soon. I'd be honored. Jamie's been on there. It's 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 a it's, decent time. It's okay. It's it's a good, good time. time. Good good it's times. Time. There nobody will get punched <laughs> on the show. <laughs> I guarantee you that. No one gets punched except for me. Good, and and, <laughs> and there won't be any Ouija boards or or white children crawling up the walls, right? I mean, it's good. it's over Zoom, so the Ouija board is underneath my desk. <laughs> Your cat is just <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to listen into our three hour show on Sundance. And uh, we'll see you next week and talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.